Unbreakable. That's a movie podcast. Hello, everyone. There really isn't a theme to this movie. They just sort of play. Nope. Yep. Yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah, no. Great start to the show, guys. Yeah. We're on fire right now. Yeah. We are we are burning on all cylinders right now. It's a new it's- year. And we're celebrating it by talking about M. Night Shyamalan. The, the bittersweet hit-or-miss man himself. <laughs> <laughs> Who is on fire recently? It's more miss than hit, honestly. Well, hold on now. Uh, hold on. We'll see. I, uh, I would say that the movies we are talking about here, though, are among his better ones, though. He's even. From the movies that I can remember him making. Oh, wait, there's a wild card, though. No. He has a decent amount. I mean, amongst his good movies, I would say, is like Sixth Sense, Unbreakable, The Visit, Split, and that's like it. No, <laughs> and then the other, so he split. Ah, <laughs> I give him signs, and to a certain extent, I give him about half of, half of the village. Uh, I don't know. I don't know where that falls. So I don't know how to. I don't know how to well, I, I, people hate the twist in the village, but at the same time, I like the romance and I like a lot of the scares. The scares in the village actually work for me. I mean, I'll give you signs. Signs, you know, is crazy. It can be very solid at times. Um, not my personal favorite, but uh, he definitely had a. Uh, questionable career from about 2006 to 2013 <laughs> questionable it's undoubtable it was horrible questionable he's on un- it was horrible basically he made four movies that just should not have ever been made he, he went on a terrible run yes <laughs> do not give the man more than 100 million dollars no uh, bump that down no more than 80. I mean, here's the thing, Chris, is like, just now, with Glass coming out in two weeks, I think he's about to redeem himself, because he's going to finally be on a span of movies that aren't bad for a bit. I, I think, um, yes, from the, I think The Visit is good, I think it, I think you can, I think you can walk away from that movie and be like, that was bad, but I think there are things about it that work. The split is very, very good. I think uh, you can make an argument that it's a, a very. I think it's a solid movie. Yeah. I think you can say it's great if you wanted to, but I, he just sort of went back to genre storytelling, and yeah. that's where he's that's where he's best at in terms of thrillers. Like I think he can dive into romance. I think he can dive into faith. He really he likes faith. Faith is something that I think he handles well. Um, but that's those are the only dramatic elements that I think can work in his movies. Outside of that, he is best suited as a genre filmmaker. Yep. And he's definitely playing in a genre in this this movie and in Glass, <laughs> respectively. I mean, he's very blatant about the genre he's playing in. It plays a big theme in this movie and in, in Glass, based on what we've seen of Glass so far. Um, and 
you know, Split's kind of in a weird place because I think Split you can basically treat as its own little special corner of its own little universe, and I think it's really a good movie. But Glass is going to tie it into Unbreakable finally, and that's a big part. So I want to take I want to take a second here before we get into Shyamalan and ask Chris, what what Shyamalan movies have you seen? Uh, Last Airbender, and that's it. That's it. So that's the only one you've seen. Yeah, shocker, right? No, um, I I would hope I I hoped that you would have seen Signs because religion and faith plays a very big part in that story and in a very positive way. Um. And, I, and it's a good movie, but uh, I'm not surprised you liked the cartoon that it, that Airbender was based off of, but I'm sure you hated the movie. Yeah, oh, I hated it when it first came out. As soon as they said Ong instead of Ang, I was just like, screw this. <laughs> screw everything. Everything. That's like 10% of what's wrong with that movie. No, it's like 1%. It's bad. It's a very, it's a very yes. bad movie on a technical level. I mean... I think also to point out something interesting I actually just read about Unbreakable is that Unbreakable is amongst Quentin Tarantino's top 20 films released since 1992, which I think is really a big deal. Hmm. He championed this movie a lot when it came out. What? He championed this movie a lot when it came out. He also yeah. loves he loves Samuel Jackson. He, they're very good friends, and he was a big... Uh, uh, a big proponent for Jackson possibly getting nominated for this movie, but um, I'm not. I'm also not surprised that he liked. Like I said, or before we even started recording, I, for me, Unbreakable with every rewatch has actually gotten better for me. Yeah, I I've seen Unbreakable about three times now, and the first time I thought it was alright. Uh, the second time I liked it, but the second time I watched it right after I watched Split. So, you know, I'm watching it looking for hints at Split. And then this third time, I just kind of enjoyed it as what it is, which is a fun superhero movie, which is kind of fun. So, uh, do you just want to, do you just want me to go right into it? Uh, hold on, let's, um, let's, uh, let's take care of some business here. First news, 2019. Zach! Hellboy trailer came out two weeks Hellboy! Woo! Looks alright! Yeah, I, I like it! Actually, now that I'm reading something, there is one other thing that is being talked about. I lied. Uh-oh, here we go. Uh, the Disney right. streaming service is exploring a new IP. Well, I shouldn't say a new IP. It's a known IP, it's just never had a series or a movie before. Okay. It is a very famous IP with a new piece of this IP coming out at the end of this month. But let me ask you this. Ace Combat Sky is unknown! Woo! What? Sorry, go ahead. What did you say? Sorry, go ahead. What? No, what did no, you say? No, no, no. no, 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 no go, go ahead, Zach. Go ahead. Uh, well, Alex, ask your question, I guess. What's IP mean? Uh, in- intellectual property. Gotcha. Um, they are exploring the possibility of a Kingdom Hearts project. Oh, I was in the right ballpark. Uh, I knew that was going to happen eventually. 
Yeah, I mean, they explored it, like, back when the first game came out. But now that, you know, they're finishing up um, Kingdom Hearts 3 at the end of the month, they are really exploring the possibilities now that they can play with it a lot more. There's a lot more IP work with it. It's a popular franchise that a lot of people love. And I think the Disney fan base would be a big uh, proponent of. They get access to every Disney property, too. They can work with Marvel, Star Wars, Mickey Mouse, you know, whatever. I just thought about that, too. And and you can have a lot of fun with it without it having to affect the other franchises. You can... It can be whatever it is it wants because it's in its own franchise, functionally. Yeah. It's an IP that can kind of tie all their other IPs together. That's that's the big thing. It's it's a it's a Marvel Cinematic Universe. They've spent the last yep. uh, few decade, pretty much, perfecting with Marvel how to make a cinematic universe with properties and characters that the company already owns and how to do it properly. They now can take what they've learned from that method and do it with their own properties. Yep, and Kingdom Hearts is kind of that big proponent that can facilitate that, and they are talking heavily about doing a Kingdom Hearts series. Do it. I agree. Uh, A lot of the unique characters are unique, so they don't have to redesign anything. Uh, They can take and pull properties as they feel like they want it. So if, you know... The flavor of the month is Marvel. They can do a Marvel Kingdom Hearts project. If they don't want to do a Marvel Kingdom Hearts project, you know, they can do, you know, they can just do world building for a season or whatever they want to do. That's the appeal of a lot of that franchise. You got to kind of actually rework the story of the first game because... No, yes, you do. No, Zach, yes, you do. Why? It's basic, the first game is basically Sora going through all the original Disney animated movies, but he's at the center. Or he's in, like, the third-person perspective. So... Doing doing it from Sora's perspective, So, like... But nothing really changes, is the problem. There's nothing changes out of that. But the story about it is that it's Sora. It's always been about Sora and his journey... And at the end put of the Kingdom the... Hearts thing, but at the end of Kingdom Hearts, he loses his heart. That's the thing. And they spends a whole game in a data world. That that's the thing. Like that's it... the fun thing is Sora doesn't win at the end. He loses everything. Put that at the forefront, and he, though. And then he has to rely on Riku and his friends to get him out of it. Just don't like don't put the sides. Don't put like the the movie. Just don't put the movie stories, like, at the forefront of that. Focus, like, they need to focus no. on him, okay, is what I'm yeah, trying to they, say here. They always do. The movie no, they don't. I played the first do. game, dude. Chris, I'm telling you, like, the movie storylines, like, influence where Sora comes into it, but it's always been about Sora. It's it's never been about the movie plot lines. But the plot lines don't change. So, what's wrong with the plot lines don't change? Moving on! Okay. Sure. Anywho, that's all the news I got. I would say say that if you're going to do that, I don't know the games very well, but if you're going to have someone who's jumping around properties that everyone already knows and loves, 
then you're going to want an audience surrogate. Yeah. Whether that's this person you guys are talking about, or whether it's somebody else they make up and then this person comes into the play later, uh, you want an audience surrogate to make sure that whatever this journey is works. Well, and, and the, their, their audience surrogate in the games is Jiminy Cricket, who's on him just recording all his adventures the whole time. What? Hold on. Yeah. Yeah. How is that the audience surrogate, though? Well, Jiminy Cricket... That's the narrator! ...third-person perspective. Wait, he was breaking the fourth wall the whole time, wasn't he? No. Oh, I played this game, like, months ago, and I just... Oh! Like, a whole big part of it is that Jiminy Cricket's journals is what's, like, tracking Sora's adventure. That's, that's Oh, his journals! Oh, yeah. right. Okay, it's all coming uh, back. All the yeah. memories. Yeah. Right up until the moment Flint pulled my memory circuit so nobody would tell him about his... Okay, never mind. Sorry, I had to reference Treasure Planet there for a second. Um, that's <laughs> that's another thing. They can go back to properties that the fan base likes, like Treasure Planet, and they can they can retell that story in nope. a new way. No, I don't want. I don't want. No, don't touch Treasure Planet. No, I'm sorry. But that would be fun. I'm saying. Okay, listen. Okay, okay, okay. Let me let me back up for a second. Do the live-action movie first. What? Just me personally. Like they're not going to do it. Okay? They're not going to do it. From but what I heard, it's going to be a wrench property, no matter what it's going to be. It's going to be a 3D animated property. Is there any other news? Besides you crushing my hopes and dreams on a continuous basis? I do think that that's a very interesting point, Chris. I wish that Disney was remaking live-action versions of the films that did not succeed as well as they hoped as animated films, like El Dorado or Prince of Egypt or Treasure Planet. I wish that they were doing those movies because Wait. people don't know them as well as the ones that they know so well. Um, but honestly, after Mortal Legends, I don't see them making something like that anytime soon. Yes. Um, the Road to El Dorado is made by DreamWorks. And I believe Mortal Engines is not a Disney property. That's Warner Brothers, yeah. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is Mortal Engines looks a lot like Treasure Planet, or how Treasure Planet would probably play out, and it didn't do very well. Yeah. I Wrong. mean, the, the tough thing is that I think Treasure Planet is... Well, it, it, ultimately, tr with Treasure Planet, is that Treasure Planet is just Treasure Island in space. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. All right. All right. All right. All right. First off, you're comparing Mortal Legends, a book that was written, what, recently? No, it was in the 90s, right? You're comparing a book that was written in the 90s. Hold on. Let me do my research here before I make a stupid statement here. I'm not talking about the book. I'm talking about how the film that just came out looks. How, if they made a Treasure Planet today, it would probably look. And it would probably look like Mortal Engines. Hold on. Hold on. Yeah, I could reasonably see that. I, mean, I, I, I think that scares Disney. I, I disagree. The stories are too different. Sure. Yes, I mean, of course they're different. I don't even know what happens in Mortal Engines. What I'm talking about is the look of the movie. Yeah, I know. The look of the movie would be very... Treasure Planet would look a lot like the, the look of Mortal Engines. 
I would agree with that. Okay. That's all, all right. I'm saying. Like, I don't know what happens in Mortal Engines. And more importantly, if I was just a normal person looking at the trailer of Mortal Engines, the, the story in that trailer isn't what's selling people. It's the scope. It's the scale. It's the spectacle of it. And that is the kind of spectacle and scope that I would imagine, because there's really only two ways you could go. There's the glossy, clean look of Avatar, or there's the sort of steampunk, metal-y vision that you would probably get out of Mortal Engines. And I would assume it would probably... The steampunk look a lot more than... One at a time! That's all all I'm saying. It's the look of Mortal Engines that would have sold people. And if people aren't sold on that look enough to go buy a ticket, then Treasure Planet is probably not something people would see because people know the story of Treasure Island. It's one that's been around a lot, sure... But that's the point. People could just go watch Muppet Treasure Island, or they could watch Treasure Island somewhere else, or they could watch another version of it. What they really want is the story. The reason there are so many versions of it is because all of them had different looks and feels and productions and vibes. So if you want to make a new one, what is it going to look like? What is the story that we all know really well going to look like? Yeah, and I, I think the danger with a live-action Treasure Planet is it's either going to look like Mortal Engines or it's going to look too much like Star Wars. All right. And I don't think I like that idea either way. All right. Let's uh, let's stop crushing my hopes and dreams and move on to something else. Um, let's see here. <laughs> oh, okay, what else was I going to do? Stand by, everybody. Um, oh, let me just... Get out of this. I don't want to read about Mortal Engines anymore. We got Chris looking at stuff that we're okay. going to talk <clears throat> about me. All right. So I thought about this, like, right before we started. Um, it's the new year, everybody. Um, 2019. Yeah. Um, this upcoming year, you got Endgame, Captain Marvel, Episode 9. Um, what com- Something's coming out later this month, right? Glass! Um... What else? You're missing out one specific that me and Alex talked about before you got there. Glass! No. Hellboy! No. Well, that, well, I guess. What? That. How to Train Your Dragon! How to Train Your Dragon 3, thank you! How did I forget about that? Dear God. Toy Story um, 4. That's on you. Um. Keeps, okay. Well, let's not forget what 2018 brought us. Um. Dark Phoenix. That's. What? I, Frozen 2. New Mutants. That's right, New Mutants. Shazam. Hold on. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Trying to see if I can mute you. Ha! The only important movie ever, Detective Pikachu. (laughs) Okay, you got me. You got me right there. Um... (laughs) The only important movie of the year is Ryan Reynolds playing a video game character. Anyway... Um, but before we look ahead, let's look back on the year that was of 2018, first ever Maestro Awards. Okay. Very simple. Dig it. <laughs> um, Dig it. so here's how this is going to work. We're going to um, take up respo- uh, different um, categories and then uh, we're just going to talk about the movies that were of 2018 that we liked. Probably disliked. Um, okay, where should I start? Uh, hey, Alex. Yes. Um, 
let's start with you. Um, talk about you are going to be in charge of the um, um, the indie movie category, or as I like to call it, the Oscar bait category. Um, talk about the best indie movies out there that are probably going to win the Oscars. That came out in 2018. Well, um, I would say, uh, although that you like. it will not, it, although it probably won't get a Best Picture nomination, it'll probably get a foreign picture nomination and then probably win for it, uh, is Alfonso Cuaron's Roma. That has, it, it has, like... There isn't a critic out there that doesn't like this movie. It's on Netflix. It's in black and white. It's uh, beautiful. It's made by the same guy who did Gravity and Children of Men and The Revenant and Birdman. He is a visualist, uh, first and foremost, and he has stopped his kind of spectacle storytelling to make something personal that is very reminiscent of his uh, mother's life growing up in Spain. And I've seen a few bits and pieces of this. I haven't sat down and watched the movie yet. But uh, I've watched it enough to be really impressed by it. Uh, it's beautiful, beautiful black and white photography, um, beautiful scores so far that I've seen, and it'll probably it'll probably win for best foreign picture. He'll probably get a best director nomination, but I don't know if it's going to get a best picture slot. People are very much pushing for it, but um, everyone seems to like it. There's also uh, if Beale Street could talk by Barry Jenkins. He's the guy who won, uh, whose Moonlight won, I think, last year, maybe the year before. Um, I don't know much about its plot. I have seen uh, a decent amount of footage of it, and the one thing I'm impressed the most by is is what he does with the camera. It's very Terrence Malicky in terms of how it moves. It's very fluid. There's a lot of interesting close-ups and use of focus um, to tell a very personal uh, story that I think takes place in the 50s, maybe a little bit further than that, maybe more than one generation, but it is, it looks very romantic and pretty beautiful. Um, uh, Alex, I would pretty sure that A Quiet Place will probably get nominated for something big. Uh, I, I, I'd be shocked to learn that it doesn't. It didn't even get a Golden Globe nomination for anything. Really? Yeah. Wow, that's sad. That movie is great. Uh, yeah, a lot of people liked it. Um, uh, it is an independent movie for sure. It's basically this year's Get Out. Um, but I don't think it'll get... I, I mean, the Golden Globes are a good scale for both Oscars as well as um, popular opinion. Uh, that's why Black Panther actually got a Best Picture nomination for drama. Uh, I'm not surprised, but I don't think it's actually going to get a Best Picture nomination for the Oscars. It may get, uh, maybe Michael B. Jordan will get a Best Supporting Actor. I could see that. Maybe its score will probably get one. Maybe it'll get a Best Song. Um, I don't think it'll get a screenplay, and I don't think is going to get a director. Yeah. Uh, and that's a big that's a big movie. It's not really an independent one. Yeah. Um, you know what is kind of an, a mild independent movie, though? And I actually saw it a couple weeks ago. And I really loved it, and I really think I want to see it go far in, in the Oscars, and it has a real good chance of it. Go ahead. Uh, Crazy Rich Asia- Asians. Oh, I forgot so, about that. I've, I'm here. I've been hearing stuff about really that one. Good, dude. It's I, it's I very it good. Yeah. Best, I think it might get best adapted screenplay. It's really good. Yes, if it, if it's going to get anything, it's going to get screenplay. 
it, it's really, really good. And Constance Wu is awesome in it. Ken Jeong is awesome in it. Um, I think the movie's really, really solid. I don't personally like a lot of romantic comedies, but I liked Crazy Rich Asians. It was really good. The, the thing about Crazy Rich Asians, it may get, uh, it may get um, set design and costume design. There's a really beautiful wedding that's in there. The costumes are insane. The sets are, are spectacular. Maybe it'll get a, a cinematography for something like that, but I don't, um, I don't think so. Set, costumes and sets sounds more like it for me. But yeah. it'll probably it'll most likely above anything get um, screenplay, best adapted screenplay. Yes, uh, a, a Star Is Born will probably get a nomination. Probably somewhere. best song for sure. It'll probably get best song. One at a time. I don't know. It'll probably get best song for sure. Yes, I won't. I don't know if it'll win, but certainly a nomination for it. Um, I, I don't think getting a best um, best supporting actors award too. Maybe for um, Elliot, I could see him getting it, but uh, Sam Elliott getting a, a Best Supporting Actor seems likely. Uh, I think Lady Gaga for sure will get Best Lead. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't think Cooper will get one. I don't think he'll get Best Direction, but he, he'll. There may be something. Maybe it'll get Best Picture nomination but uh certainly gaga will get nominated and i think elliot might have a chance there's also black klansman by spike lee yes black klansman was awesome that has a good possibility of getting screenplay as well as maybe director i think adam driver could get best supporting actor reasonably it's a good chance yeah um hereditary i was gonna bring that up i had not seen hereditary but i was waiting for it to come up I could see Hereditary getting maybe cinematography, maybe score. Sounds like a possibility, but I yeah. think that's it. The, the The Oscars don't really like to celebrate horror movies. In fact, ironically, we're going to be talking about Shyamalan. Shyamalan's Sixth Sense as well as... No, I would say Shyamalan's Sixth Sense is the only real horror movie that I can think of that has won Best uh, Picture recently. Yeah. You know what? I know for sure we'll win something, though. For sure. Go like, ahead. It, go. It's not, even, it's, it's not even a question. Go. What? I Love Dogs. I, I love that dogs came out this year? nomination at Golden Globes and it's best animated. And it has a chance, but it, it maybe we'll get an Oscar for best animated picture, dude. Wes Anderson's never lost an animation when he was been up for it. He's never lost it. Well, he's going to lose yeah, this year. Like, I what? mean, what could he lose to? Uh, oh, that is Wreck true. It Ralph, I think. Ralph Breaks the Internet. Uh, uh, Spider-Verse! Spider, yeah, Into the Spider-Verse could take it. I'm going to see that tomorrow really night. Movie. I'll talk when before Spider-Verse. Yeah. Or uh, Yeah, I mean, um, I'm looking at... Let me look at the Golden Globes nominees that it's gotten. Okay, well, you're and doing I that. Say the, the, other, the other big... Uh, fav- the other big indie favorite that people are talking about is a movie that's actually called The Favorite with Emma Stone. I've heard uh, a lot about this. Really Fox Searchlight's touting this one. It's really weird, It's but it's also really... Uh, a lot of people like it, but if you like weird stuff, that's... It probably won't win uh, anything, really. Maybe Emma Stone might get uh, Best Supporting Actress, but at the end of the day, I think they're just going to nominate it. 
for a lot of things, um, but it's really weird. Uh, best animated picture is Carnivals 2, Isle of Dogs, Mirror Eye, Route Breaks the Internet, and Into the Spider-Verse. It's actually kind of a bloodbath, a little bit. Ooh. Mirror Eye was really good. I saw Mirror Eye this year, so... Golden Globes are different than the Oscars in terms of popular okay. versus... I would say if it was the Oscars, though, Isle of Dogs would win above Spider-Verse. So, um... But over Incredibles 2, though? Hold up. Yes. Yes. Okay. okay. Um... Okay. Let's table the Oscar talk for when the Oscars come around. Sure. This is the Maestro Awards of Best of 2018. First ever. Alex, of the indie movies that you've seen, pick your favorite. Um, I really liked Black Klansman a lot. I think Spike Lee is a hit or miss director. I think he, um, when he tries to please everyone, I think it doesn't work. And I think his films don't work entirely. But I think when he's just speaking from his heart and doesn't care who likes it and who doesn't is when his films work the best. And although Black Black Klansman is based off of a true story, he doesn't pull any punches. And the ending is not exactly what you think it might be. Um, and also, I, I've just seen enough of Roma to really be impressed by it. I wouldn't be um, heartbroken if that won anything. Uh, but I really, I really did like Black Klansman. I thought it was really good. All right. So, Master Movie Award for Best Indie slash Oscar Bait Movie goes Black Klansman. Good movie. I, I would say a movie that not very many people would think is an Oscar movie, but I loved a lot was Mandy, and I would probably push that for my favorite independent movie of the year. Um, I rescinded the, the word that I just gave I think out. It, it satisfies on a lot of levels. I think it has a great score. I think it's beautiful. I think it's weird. It's violent and pulpy. And it, it takes interesting chances. But I think in, if you want to talk about a movie where the director wanted to tell a story where no one really cared how it went, Black Klansman is really good. There's also a movie that isn't really getting nominated for a lot, but it's really, uh, that touched me and moved me a lot, was a movie called Blind Spotting. Oh, Blind Spotting is super sweet. Yeah, I liked, um, I liked that one a lot. It, it, you think it's, it's going to be one thing, and then it just goes down a different path. That is, it affected me a lot. And then uh, I, I don't know if it'll get any nominations because people haven't really been talking about it much anymore. But it's it's weird, crazy, but awesome. Sorry to bother you. Oh, I heard about this. I like the premise. It it gets super weird by the end, but I really like it, and I w it's very Charlie Kaufman. Um. There's a movie that no one's talked about this year as far as, like, awards at all that I'm really sad is not getting anything because I thought it was really This is good. what this it's award really, category is for. What? This is what this award category is for. The weird and not unwatched. Yeah. Uh, Alex, I don't think you've seen this still, and I'm really sad that you still haven't seen it. But if, if you haven't, but if you have all the power to, it's really awesome. Uh, Annihilation. That came out this I've, year? I've, that technically came out this year, yeah. Oh April, my god. Yeah, April 13th. 
Um, I've seen I've seen about half of Annihil- of Annihilation, and yes, I did like it a lot. It's weird. It's creepy. It's female driven. Yep. Um, it's visually very interesting, while at the same time being uh, really reserved. And uh, it could be just as beautiful as it can be gross. It's confusing. Uh, great score. Uh, I like it. It satisfied all my weird little uh, ticks. Okay. That I gotta say though, that scene with the uh, the uh, Baron. The what? The Baron test. No, well, the bear was pretty creepy, but I'm talking more about um, the intestines thing. Yeah, bear intestines. No, the the snake intestines. Just intestines in general. Well, yeah. But <laughs> this is where it's going, folks. He's got a lot of guts. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, that that one was that that got me when they like cut open that corpse and they just like saw the intestines moving around like snakes and said, "Oh." Well, that me. sounds awesome, honestly. No, dude. It, it was gross. It it was cool. It was really cool. And the the bear scene is like one of the freakiest scenes in the movie. But it is so cool. And the music is spot on. The movie is visually a trip. <laughs> like everybody I know said, you, you got to go see that movie on on stuff that I we're not we, we won't talk about here, but. That movie's a trip, and it's awesome, and the music's weird, and it's awesome. Uh, I'm a big fan of Alex Garland's direction. He's written a lot of very um, classic sci-fi movies and thrillers over the past few years. The fact that he's gone on to make uh, a couple of really good films of his own has been great. Um, Especially considering the fact that um, I could actually see Annihilation possibly being nominated for Best Original Screenplay. Um, just like Ex Machina was about four years ago. Um, it's possible. I think there's a real chance for it. I think Annihilation's got a very bright future ahead of it. It's a really good movie. It got released digitally by Netflix internationally and then released in theaters, uh, in the U.S., so it's kind of got an interesting release. Um, I think Annihilation was based off a novel. Yeah, so it was based on three novels, actually. Okay. Uh, so, yeah. First ever. No, no, no. no. Oh, hang on, um, Alex. I'm gonna let you decide. Black Klansman or Mandy? Some one of them's gonna get the award. Um, I Mandy is just for me. I wish other people would see it, but honestly, I think every, I think a lot of people. I think everyone should take a chance to see Black Klansman and really understand why Spike Lee, even today, uh can tell the story very well. Alright, then the award goes to Black Klansman. Best indie slash Oscar bait. Slash yep. weird and unwatched. Alright. Now, next category. Zach. This yes. one's for you, buddy. Yay. Best comic book movie. Go! Oh, God. Um, for the year? For the year of 2018. Uh, it... It's not even a question, Chris. Okay, then make it a question. No, it's Black Panther, dude. <laughs> okay. Um. <laughs> Jesus. Like, not Infinity War. Panther, dude. Not even gonna give Ant Man. I don't blame you. Ant Man the Wasp was. No, it's Black good. Panther. <laughs> 
You're not even going to talk about the other one. You're just going to pick Black Panther and not talk about it. Talk about the movies that came out first before you make it. We just go crazy. It's Black Panther. Oh, yeah, Zach, I, I get, I, there is a certain extent that I agree with you, but I also want to know why you think that goes above um, Infinity War, which I, I think one person could make an argument for. There's also Into the Spider-Verse, yeah. but I would say that it's really up against those two. Yeah, it, it's more of a question of how is Black Panther better than the other two, and the, the answer is that Black Panther, you know, we're, I'm, I, I, I hate to be the person to say this, but ignoring the entire movement that that movie created, and it's hard to talk about that movie without talking about that movement that it created, it's a solid movie where genuinely at the end of the movie, you feel for the villain. The villain is perfect. I, I will tell you this, Michael B. Jordan should freaking win Oscars this year. I mean, really. I, if it were up to me, Michael B. Jordan would win Best Supporting Actor for his portrayal of Killmonger, Eric Killmonger, and it's just, it, it's perfect. I mean, he's, the character is impressive to say the least. You feel for the villain, you feel for the fact that he's looking out for all people of African descent, not just those of Wakanda and, and the, the, the political issues of dealing with the movie where, you know, the, you know, Wakanda is a country never touched by colonialism and that's, and how does a country like that develop through the thousands and thousands of years? And you get to see that play out where you have a person who's lived in the worst of it. You know, the guy lived in Oakland, California, you know, California police are not nice to African-Americans. I'm going to be the first to say this. I'm not going to be the first let me, to say Let me write that down. California <laughs> police are not nice to black people. Got it. Yes. Zach Zuckerman. It, it, they are not nice. And for a kid to have to grow up functionally in the slums to what you could consider an immigrant father, which I'm sure there are millions of people in America who can live, who can understand that situation, they grow up just hating authority. And then you find out, years and years later, there was a country this whole time of people just like me who, you know, didn't do anything. And then you find out that your father was murdered by one of those people. You want to uproot that. You're like, why Why is it you get to live in this? Why do you, you know, why, why, shouldn't, why shouldn't you stand up for everybody and for all African people of African descent and all that. And at the very end of it, you know, Eric did horrible things and he was about to commit a horrible thing, but he was justified. I mean, look at what happens when you put white people in charge of the world. They, you know, they persecuted these poor people. Um... Okay. I would say I, I do uh, I do uh, like what you're saying, especially when you take into consideration that it isn't just what that character goes through. It's that he he represents mm. all the immigrants of Wakanda and as well as Africa, because Wakanda is a country that is surrounded. That even though it's thriving, it is surrounded by African countries that are not. And it's it's one thing to say 
what kind of world is it that a country like this when untouched by the systematic traumas of the entirety of the world that it can prosper so well but then what does it say about the country when it doesn't share its strength with the rest of its community and, and, and Killmonger is absolutely a representation of, on a personal level as in his father was killed by the king of Wakanda as well as um, any immigrant who goes through that uh, of Wakanda I mean I, and I just there are very few movies where I watch it and at the end of the movie I feel like while the hero went through his journey and he realized that is at the end of the day the hero is doing what the villain wanted the whole time and the villain won Killmonger won at the end of that movie he died but he won I don't know if he won no, T'Challa yeah. is opening up Wakanda and he's sharing those resources with the greater community. That is what Eric wanted. No, Eric Eric wanted to literally create an empire out of Wakanda. He wanted to destroy other countries. He sent missiles out to other countries to destroy them and weaken the ones in power so that Wakanda could prosper. He wanted to destabilize the world and then bring Wakanda up. Like, that, that, is, that is different than what uh, T'Challa is doing. T'Challa wants to help the world prosper and not burn it down so that Wakanda is the only one left standing. I guess. I mean, even so, the the villain made a great point and he genuinely changed the hero to think in a similar light to what he saw. Well, also, his, his ex was making the same argument, too. Yes. She, and she was making that argument throughout the film and he would sit and look at her and say... What should we do? How should we even do that? What What am I supposed to do? This is our tradition. Look at the world we live in. We would, uh, it, they would take our resources, and then she would say, "Well, you don't understand. It's a system that will create problems and create worse uh, uh, environments for people." And he, and then his stepbrother comes in, and he is a product of that worse environment. So he hears the argument, but then he sees the results of it. And once he actually sees them and how far they can actually drive someone into despair and villainy, that he actually starts to realize the problems of it. Yeah, but it, it genuinely, you just, you don't see a villain do that very often. You, you see a villain, you know, he's like, oh, I'm going to, you know, do my evil, you know, you know mustache twirling plan. And, I, and at <clears> the end <throat> of the day, it's like, oh, you got me. Uh, very rarely do you get a villain who... He took over Wakanda, and he, he did his mustache twirling and all that. But at the end of the day, the hero saw that, and he chose to take a better path after defeating the villain and really kind of almost seeing where the villain is coming from. You know what I mean? What his his point of view is. Yes. Um, it... Killmonger is an understandable villain, but he still is a villain. He's still he's still taken to an extreme that even he cannot come back from, uh, and that is why he allows himself to uh, die at the end. He he doesn't he doesn't. See, I, I he also doesn't think that the most powerful line is his last line of dialogue. He says, "Don't bury me. Throw me into the sea." so I can be free just like my ancestors who were smart enough to jump off the boats were. 
Yeah, okay. he did. He doesn't want to go through bondage, but at the end of the day, he doesn't see the possibility of change. He doesn't see himself a paying for his uh, mistakes and the consequences of his actions, which yeah, which is sort of a coward's way out. It's also the only death to him is the only uh, result to his um, actions, whether it's his or somebody else's. So to him, the death of the patriarchy and the systematic oppression that exists is the only way for things to change. Whereas T'Challa sees it as, we just need to uh, do our best to help things. We need to do our best to change it from a different perspective, a perspective of peace and understanding where he's like, no, we need to kill it. And he's like, no, we need to adapt and change things from the inside, maybe change people's perspective. And he's going, no, you, I don't want to sit in a cell and think about what I did and think about the possibility of change. I would much rather die. That, that is the villain in him. That is why his father cries when he sees him after taking the drug, because he knows his son is too far, too <laughs> the, far gone. The yeah. drug. And, you know, in, in parallel, when we talk about Josh Brolin's, you know, Thanos, this is a character who already is so far gone that erasing half of life is his only answer anymore. Well, Thanos is psychotic, yes, um, sure, but also he is—he is inflicting the pain that he was inflicted upon onto the world and his methods. It's not even just just that. People talk about what his mission is and how it's understandable and stuff, but you also got to realize he—he what he did to his daughters. Like when it comes to Gamora and Nebula, like he made them—he took them from their homes and then made them fight each other. And when one failed the other. He took out parts of their bodies so that they could be better. Like that, that stuff is insane. That's insane. So when people talk about like his mission, yeah, to a certain extent, it's understandable. But you also have to look at all the other terrible things that he did. He's a a psychopath. Yep. Uh, It's funny because people are. There's this big comparison about people saying, "Well, Thanos a psychopath or a sociopath," and he's actually just a sociopath because of that reason. Well, no, I, I, I would disagree with that, although I do think it's a fun discussion. And the reason I disagree with it is because he obviously feels emotion towards Gamora. Yep. Yep. Okay. Um, so Black and, Panther and, wins, and, right? And, and to briefly talk about um, Into the Spider-Verse, there, there is a big thing where uh, there, there are two main villains. There's the Prowler, and then there's Kingpin. And King Kingpin is just trying to bring his family back who died in an accident caused by Peter Parker. Um, and then the Prowler is Miles' un- own uncle. He is his Uncle Ben, and he dies in a confrontation with Miles himself. So Uncle Ben dies because Spider-Man kills him. Is that is that something we know when the movie starts, or did you just spoil something? God! It's about- you want me to talk about it, dude? I'm no! Afraid. Do not spoil it! No! Moving on. Spoil, Zach. So Black Panther wins. Okay? Black Panther wins. Let's entertain the other options real quick. Just let's just entertain them. Just for the FYC, for your consideration. Um, What else was... Infinity War. Great special effects. Um, The heroes... Spoiler alert. If you haven't seen it already, I'm sorry. There's something wrong with you. 
Um, the heroes finally lost. Uh, it was ten years um, and uh, eighteen prior movies that led up to this movie and it delivered on every, delivered on pretty much every level. Um, you had a good villain, good performance out of uh, Josh Brolin for uh, Thanos. Um, shock ending, even though everybody saw it coming. Um, what else? What else am I missing out of Infinity War here? Help me out here, guys. Uh, I would say, um, I. The thing about Black Panther for me that is the weakest point is the CGI, and the story is that they they uh, cannibalized their CGI artists so that they could use them for Infinity War, which makes sense because Infinity War is flawless looking. Um, Thanos throws a moon at Iron Man, and it looks amazing. It's just it's ridiculous. Um, a moon. I yeah, I would say the, um, Infinity War certainly wins in terms of how it looks. Um, it certainly is impressive to have it connect all these movies together and really mostly work on 110% of itself if you've seen all of these movies, all of them. Um, personally, the thing that really grabs me is if you think about it in terms of how comics work nowadays, or certainly after about 50 years in the business of comic books, this is what a comic book looks like these days. This is a comic book event put on screen, and it works. This is several different heroes getting together to stop one big guy. It's what Apocalypse was supposed to be. Um, it's what Justice League was supposed to be. And it works. It, like, it, 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 it is a comic book movie. This, to me, is the perfect example of what that can be. On, on just the biggest, most epic scale of it. And, and uh, in those terms, I think it really absolutely works. Um, Ant-Man and Wasp, it was a fine, it was a fine little thing. Some humor to lighten up um, the shock and awe of Infinity War. Um, can't decide whether it's better than the first, or on even terms. I don't think it's worse than the first. Um, it's not I think the first one is better because it's tighter. I think this one... I think Ant-Man and the Wasp has a great last 40 minutes because it's mostly just the car chase and him getting big and all this um, fun spectacle shrinking stuff. But I, I think it's 20 minutes too long, and I think um, you don't need one of the villains. If you take out Walter Coggins and his whole trying to make a deal with them and, and getting pissed that um, they back out on the deal, uh, you take away the best antagonist of the movie. But really, he just he's always just sort of one step behind whatever they're doing. He's he's basically in his own movie. Like he gets screwed on a deal, and then he's like, I want to go grab whatever they're doing. But he has no idea what Ant Man and Hank Pym and Wasp are actually doing, what their intent is. He just knows that. They have a tool that he wants. And as for Ghost and what she's doing, she is a fine antagonist, but really none of it matters when Michelle Pfeiffer just pops out and helps her. But immediately. So it's sort of like, well, what was the point of that then? <laughs> that was a thing, yeah. wasn't it? Well, it just makes you wonder why Lawrence Fishburne and her didn't just go to Hank Pym and ask for help. Why does she have to go through this whole sneaky ghost method just because, like, 
just because that Lawrence Fishburne and Hank Pym aren't really talking anymore and they're not good friends, like he's trying to help this person and Hank Pym can possibly help her. And they could have both gotten together and saved his wife together. Like they, they could have saved her faster. And then she, it doesn't matter if his plan was to look at Hank Pym and be like, when she gets out, we need some of her energy to help Ghost. And Hank Pym's like, no, you're, I'm not going to let you do that. But I do need your help. And if that was the conflict the entire time, that's fine. She still could have walked out and like touched her head and helped her. But I, it, it just seems weird that they go through all this like villainous BS just to have Pfeiffer walk out and be like, hey, boom, you're, you're fine. And she is absolutely sympathetic. But they, they really should have just asked for help. Yeah. Um, so if you take one, if you take one of those villains out, like uh, Coggins is not that compelling of a villain. He seems to just be one step behind both the story and the characters. And Ghost and and Lawrence Fishburne, they're just doing all this villainous stuff. When at the end of the day, they could have just asked. Yeah. Um, comic book, comic book, com- Venom. I think that's next oh, in the pecking order. Uh, that movie's <laughs> weird. I really don't know. I still don't know how to rate that movie. So I'm, I'm really ganded up to you two. It, it, it's fine. Like it, it's, it was a fun ride while it was. It's obviously doing very well internationally, which is why they're making a sequel to it. Have you seen it, Zach? I have seen Venom. No. Oh, you said Venom. I said Aquaman. Sorry. Venom. Venom. Uh, We're getting to Aquaman. Venom is a bad movie that is elevated by Tom Hardy. That's pretty much it. I'll watch Tom Hardy be Eddie Brock all day. I'll I'll (laughs) certainly watch a sequel uh, with Eddie Brock and Venom in it, and that's about it. Yeah, I mean, I would agree with that. I would say Tom Hardy is like the whole point to watch that movie. Like a turd. Yeah, you like Tom Hardy, like Venom. Yep. In the wind. Um... I think Aquaman's next. There were This was actually a uh, not as lot of comic book movies came Aquaman. out this year. In ter- another, in like, in terms of like quantity, like usually it's like wait, is it usually like five that come out a year in general? I, uh, who knows, man? I haven't seen Aquaman, so I couldn't tell you anything about. I it. have seen Aquaman. Congrats. Um. First half, it couldn't decide what movie it was telling, or what movie it was giving me. Then the second half, it finally settled, and I'm like, okay, I'm good now. Um, movie does kind of end like Ant-Man and Wasp, and I'm like, well, that's fine. Um, and um, what else? I, I, I personally liked it, because of the, uh, what was it? I'm bad with words, I apologize. Um, I guess the the underlying theme of it, of, like, he's from, like, he's from Atlantis, the place of prosperity under the sea that nobody knows about, and he's also from land, and everybody knows how trashy land is. They show how trashy land is. Um, um, kind of, it did affect me on a, on a kind of a personal level because of my biraciality. But, um, other than that, technically, technically, James Wan... Tell me when he's making an action movie. I want to be there day one. Like, some of the action in this movie is gorgeous, and some of the some of the money shots are just. Um, 
Yeah, I would say, like, from what I've seen in the trailers, a lot of the movie looks just very beautiful. It's a very pretty-looking movie. I just don't... Uh, the thing I've heard from reviews is that the acting, other than, like, Jason Momoa, is, like, very medium. Uh, he, this performance hops around. He can't... His, his character's kind of more... I... Uh, I put it more on the writing, honestly. Not necessarily his performance. He's just acting to the script, honestly. Okay. Um, it's a really hard movie to be in, I would think, because it looks like there's a lot of green screen. And oh, yeah. you just have to get what's there, so the actors are just doing the best they can. Apparently, some of this movie was actually shot underwater. And I'm like, okay, I can see it. Sure, that's not hard to. That doesn't. Yeah, from what that's I not hard to fake. It, but I was gonna say, from what I read about this movie, as they shot as much as they possibly could on set as they could, they they literally shot everything they could conceivably shoot on set on set, and then everything else, you know, obviously was animated as necessary. I think most of it was animated, based on the behind the scenes footage that I've seen. I I. Again, I haven't seen it. I don't know what's going on, but from what I can tell and what I've read about it, a lot of it, they tried to shoot a lot of it practically. But yeah, otherwise, fun ride. Okay. I can I can imagine that. My turn. Sure. Best blockbuster excluding comic book movies. Um uh, nominees that are off the top of my head. Ready player one. Uh, Good. God, that was so much fun. Woo! Ready Player Bad, One. Though. No, I mean, I, I rewatched it again recently, and I do actually appreciate it more. Are you kidding me, Zach? You didn't like it. No. So. Hold on, let me mute you first. Hold on. Where's the mute button? I can't mute you. Alright, say what you're going to say and get it over with. I, so. I've rewatched this movie like three times since I've seen since I watched it the first time, and I every time I watch this movie, I can only think about it from the perspective of it's it's a giant reference pie. It has Great. a ton of references in it with very little relevant story. <laughs> Fine by me. Um, I had so much fun. I don't know if I agree with that. You don't know if you agree with that? Hold on, he's... He's some he's somewhere right now. Okay, here he is. Okay. Go ahead, Alex, what were you going to say? I do, I do think that it has a story to it. I just don't think... Um, the, the story is basically a guy needs to learn to kiss a girl. And I think that there is some heart to it when you compare his story with the story of the creator of the world. And I do think there is some merit to what they're trying to say of just not staying inside all day, not being antisocial, not allowing this being scared of the world that, that is real versus whatever your imagination is capable of. I do think that there are some merits to that, but I also think that the references there that are in the movie do take over a lot of what it is, but I honestly think the biggest problem with the movie is that Spielberg should not have been the one to make it. I do think that him making it allows a lot of the action, 
and spectacle to work but if somebody else had made it that was that grew up on spielberg movies would have understood the power of those references a lot more than the guy who made them okay i i can see that um yeah and and again i a lot of the biggest thing biggest complaint i had about this movie is that a large chunk of this movie should be about the dangers of growing social media and growing technology and, you know, and being reliant on that technology. And Isn't that I think there could have been a really fun story in this movie about the social media generation and about <laughs> technology and being online all the time and, you know, whatever. And, you know, modern uh, dependency on video gaming and all that. And I think that could have been a lot of fun, but like Alex said, I think because the guy who made it is an 80-year-old man, or whatever, you know, whatever Steven Spielberg's age is, 72. He's not freaking 80. Give the man some credit. He's 72. Respect. God. He's 72. Even if you round up. He's Yeah, sure, so you round up to 75. Well, what, what I'm saying is... The, probably the most inspired section of the entire movie is the shining scene. Yes. And that is obviously made by somebody who was inspired by the shining. That was somebody who in the eighties, who had only made about uh, a few films at that point in his life, saw the shining and was inspired by what Stanley Kubrick did and was yeah. probably inspired by a lot of what Stanley Kubrick had done before that movie. So that's obviously the most the most inspired part of the movie. So if you had had the whole movie made by someone who was inspired by all of the works of Spielberg and everyone who was inspired by him since, you would have felt that throughout the entirety of the movie. Yeah. I don't know if it's necessarily I think, the problem I with think the film. Someone like, one at a time. So, hold on, Zach. I don't know if the problem with the movie is social media and stuff like that. I don't think that's a problem because one of my biggest problems with the movie is that it's there are no new references to a certain point to a certain point there's nothing new that's been made so they like whenever the book stopped and that's how the script makes those references they don't make any reference like there's no dark knight there's no marvel universe in there there's yeah. nothing if this is supposed to be the world that came from us no new references have come up since then that's kind of weird to me um there's the there's the one overwatch reference but that's like that's not anything special Overwatch was a game made in 2013, though. You know, like that. You know that that's that's not anything. I think like if we had a guy direct this, like James Wan, who grew up in the 80s and the 90s, who grew up with Steven Spielberg and grew up, you know, probably plays games like Overwatch and you know and Hearthstone and you know and Battlefront and whatever. You know what I mean? We and probably also at the same time played games like Frogger and games like Super Mario sixty four and whatever. There would be a lot more of that in there. That would have been a lot more fun. But I, I also feel like quite a bit of Ready Player One got drawn back by the fact that they need to utilize IPs that not everybody wants to give. Okay. May I present yeah. my case in defense? Sure. Yeah. Go for it. You're going to disagree with me, so there's really no point to this, but i got to feel like, I feel like Ready Player One should be in this category. Here's why. People, okay, hold on a second. People would just keep, I don't know. All right, so, sure. All right. I'll give you that. It's not very modern. It doesn't make a lot of modern references. 
fine. Granted, those references that it does make are still relevant somewhat today, like Star Wars or Alien or The Shining. People love people like The Shining. They're, they're, they're still relevant with people. Um, I still think it's a lot of fun. I don't think it's like... Okay, if you did the whole... It's about people who are on social media all the time and all that other junk. And you're getting pre- you're get, you're you're entering Tomorrowland territory here. You're getting preachy. You're getting preachy about a subject that people are g- generally disagree about. Um, I want to say something, but I'm gonna let you finish. Um, especially with the social, and it did, I think, address that. It's an underlying theme, but if you make it the subject of the movie, you're getting preachy. People are just gonna say, "Oh, it just preaches about how people shouldn't be online all the time." Sure, you oh, can make that. You can well, make honestly, that work, but like you can you're entering that territory. That movie have something to say about it. Sure, right, right, yeah, but like you're you're treading on you're treading on is, you're treading in water you don't need to be in. Is what I'm saying. That's a major theme of the book. That that the, the major theme of the book is that they don't. You're not gonna nail the book. You're gonna make an adaptation of the book. You're not gonna nail the book 100. percent that's yeah, my, my yeah. argument would be Mad Max. Mad Max is a movie that has something to say about the patriarchy. It has something to say with, with how men view women as objects. It has something to say, has a lot to say about themes and what it's trying to do. It's also still a movie about a big chase scene. So yeah. yes, you can make an entertaining action movie that has something to say. And I could have, I can see people walking away from Mad Max and being that's too preachy. But at the same time, I think that line is walked very finely in that film more than anything else. So I think it is possible, but I don't think that Ready Player One even tries. Like there are drones all around the film; people are getting watched all the time. But the film doesn't talk about it the way that, say, Minority Report does. Yep. And I guess you could concede that point. I guess you can make that point. Yeah. I think they could have tried a lot harder with the theme, especially considering that that was a major theme of the book. Like, it was, like, the biggest part of the book was it's about these, like, five people who just spend all their time playing video games and watching video game stuff to the point where they can one-for-one quote and, and like, act out Monty Python the Holy Grail because that's a big thing. That's, like, a big scene and thing is is that, um, is that, uh, is Wade Watts one of the big themes is he has to act out perfectly quote and do everything correct about Monty Python, the Holy Grail. And that's just a whole scene that ended up getting replaced with the shining scene, which I think is a lot more interesting. But the big theme of the book is that they're spending their time playing video games all day long. And they're watching, you know, eighties movies and stuff. The stuff that in this timeline is like 80 years old. It's like us talking yeah, but I mean, they, Charlie they, Chaplin right now. They do stipulate it very specifically by saying the reason that everyone focuses on these things and the reason they've had the impact that they have despite their age and despite the fact that nothing new recently is really having an effect is because everyone is drawn to and inspired by one man and everything that he loves and everything that he loves is directly tied to an Easter egg that everybody wants, a, a Willy Wonka-esque Easter egg. You have to study everything that this guy loves and what he grew up with and what is nostalgic to him because you could own his entire uh, company. 
And that's the thing. He's a guy who stayed at home all day and watched movies and played video games and read books all the time. So he has a plethora of knowledge of pop culture that is still limited to a certain window because he died that people can still look at. That they have an entire museum that has a curator for people to go to and find the information they need. So that that is part of it, and I will give them that. But also, I do. I just I doubt that there aren't people in this world that and new art that's getting made that isn't in some way making just as much of an impact as this guy. Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna say this. I'm gonna move on from move on with this category. I'm gonna say this. Okay. Sure. Movie could have been much more, I guess, relevant with the issues that are going on today. Could have referenced more modern stuff. Sure. It could have had a message. Fine. Okay. Here's the deal. Just thought about this, too. You're talking about a guy, and you could say, okay, maybe Spielberg shouldn't have directed this. Okay, but Spielberg did direct this. Before this, he made The Post, which was hastily made because of the modern, because of the modern issues of, like journalism today and how the current government is being viewed like he made the post and he said you know what i want to make something fun so he made so he thought okay maybe ready player one it speaks to him i didn't hear a lot of people say he shouldn't direct it i i heard quite the opposite i heard people said he should direct it because it's it was basically the book was written for him for goodness sake um so yeah for me, personally, it was a simple, fun adventure. The guy has to get an egg. There's an evil corporation that wants to get the egg so they can spam people and so they can borderline have seizures on their screen because of all the ads it's running and all the spam. Um, guy wants to stop that. He meets, like, there, like uh, there's some um, chicanery along the way. And then it's, just, it's a simple adventure. It's a simple adventure movie um, that... I really enjoyed it, and I thought it was a fun ride. Me, personally. I Sure, it could have had a message. Sure, it could have said something about our modern climate of social media, internet age, and we're spending too much time on our computers. Heck, I'm in front of one! I just watched a movie in front of my on my Xbox while I'm talking to you on my phone while I'm recording this on my desktop. We spend yeah. too much time on devices and all that stuff. Sure, it could have said that. I'm not going to say it would have done any good good but i don't but i just liked it for the simple adventure that it told and i didn't need anything else i thought it was a fun ride my opinion i'll i'll be wrong fine that's cool i'll be wrong again well, I, don't, I, I do think it's a fun ride i do enjoy it. i watched it recently and i did enjoy it i think the action is great um i just and i do think it says that i think that the guy who creates the game makes his point at the very end of the movie he's like the world the, the real world is scary but it's real that's the thing like the whole point of the movie is the main character kisses a girl he needs to learn to kiss a girl like that that's that that is the whole point of the movie yeah. it, you you need to be not scared of kissing a girl that is what that movie is about that just it's very simple and it's a simple through line that they have uh throughout the entirety of the film but i don't think that the problem the problem for me is not that they don't hammer on a message there is a message in it and they do say it and that's fine enough for me to be interested in this movie that they're doing um i i have other problems like 
for me, it's super weird that uh, it's a movie about gamers to a certain extent, and all of the friends who are gaming are all within driving distance of each other. That's kind of weird. Um, they yeah. should be like all around the world. Like have a big chunk of the movie should be them trying to reach each other. Um, another problem that I kind of have is his best friend who's been with him throughout this movie, the moment we see that person in real life, they're just designated to driver. That, that, that sort of stuff is weird to me. Oh, wow. Like, I, I would say my biggest problems with the film have to do with it actually moving and, and, and working as an action film in its last act, I would say. But I do think it's a fun ride. Like, I didn't... I've, I've enjoyed it the more and more that I've watched it. Like, I, wa- I walked into my roommates watching it halfway on the second half, and then when they were done, I immediately went in my room and, and started it again because I, I wanted to watch it. I was in it. I, I wanted to get into this world. I think there are... I, you don't need to answer all the systematic problems that this world has created, and you don't need to hammer home views and points and themes the way Mad Max does. You don't need to do that. But I do think that I, I think the problem with Spielberg directing material that he made and is pretty much tied to is the difference between him making an entire section about The Shining, which he is was inspired by and works on a visual level, and him shooting teenagers walking around spouting references. Like yeah. there's a certain there's a certain extent where I feel like he's like. He probably is surrounded by young kids every now and then, and he just hears them talking and nerding out about stuff. And I feel like he's like, well, I'll just shoot that stuff because I don't know anything really about Duran Duran or Overwatch or um, Bond Goldeneye. I don't know about that stuff. But if they talk like they're excited about it, that's great. But then when it comes to The Shining, he's like, he's excited about it, so he wants to make a section of it. And he wants to visually work it into his story. And that's, that's the difference. When he's inspired by something, he actually uses the medium he knows well to do something about it. But when he's talking, when he has his characters dealing with content that he doesn't know very well, he just has them talk about it. Yep. He just kind of sits and lets them go and talk about their thing, and when it kind of falls apart because either people don't get it or they don't want to get it, it just doesn't feel right. There, there was a movie that came out a few years ago about a group of kids who for seven summers remade shot for shot Raiders of the Lost Ark with their own home video camera and then later as adults got together and finished the one scene they needed to finish to be able for the movie to be complete that is inspiration those are people who were inspired by a Spielberg movie and decided to make their own art out of it if you found a director who was inspired by Raiders or Jaws or something like that most likely he would want to make scenes that are like those movies he would like to use those those references and those qualities to actually visually embed them into his film rather than just have people talk around and geek out about Jaws and stuff. Yep. That That's that's what I had a problem with in terms of the references. I knew there were going to be a butt-ton of references. I know that's what that movie is technically about to a certain extent. And I don't have a problem with that because I sit and talk about the things that I love all the time. But... I think the and I had no problem with Spielberg directing it. I like a lot of people thought, oh well, he 
basically knows all these references. He made them, so he knows how to uh, put them to the screen again. But now I realize that that film should have been made by somebody who was inspired by them because it's a movie about people inspired by those things. Yep. I did not think it was a bad movie, but that's just me. We all know how wrong I am. You're um, not wrong. It's not a bad movie. I just think there are flaws to it. It could have been better. That's every movie, yep. though. That's every movie, though. You're judging it too hard. Um, all right. Not every movie. Yeah, every movie. Um, what was next on the pecking order? Um, Mission Impossible Fallout! Yes. This is the greatest the movie ever made of all time. Don't fight me. Cause I can't. I'm 5'4 and 180 and no. Um, I saw it. I just don't really... Yeah. You can have yeah. this. Bye! You can have this one. Um, so you don't care about you don't care about Mission Impossible movies, Zach? I no, not really. I'm gonna be honest. Did you watch Rogue Nation? I didn't see Rogue Nation. I did see Fallout. Wow. They're, like they're good movies. Don't get me wrong. They're great movies. I just am not. A big fan of the franchise in general. I mean, okay, let me continue then. What can what, what can I say? Um, good God, McCoy! Oh God, it's a shame he's never going to do a Star Wars movie because this fan base sucks. Um, McCoy's great. Um, he's a great director. Everything looks I mean, Chris, fantastic. Let's be honest. If Zach, can I finish? Movie, they crucify him like they did Ryan Johnson. Can I finish? Yes. McCoy absolutely crushes it. Um, like this is a like this is an absolute visual like action spectacle that I'll never believe. Tom Cruise, oh my god, he's trying to kill himself. Um, he literally jumps out of a freaking plane. He flies a helicopter. Um, they like there was one point in the production where they thought he he thought he died. Um, what else? Like everybody like the action. They just what can I say? Like it looks great. What can I say? This movie, this entire movie is great, top to bottom. Like, almost, like, hardly any flaw, hardly any flaws to it. To me, um, it just looks great and, um, just all around good. Just give it to, just give it the award. Best blockbuster. Um. You can have it. Um, I'll entertain the other, I'll entertain the other one. I, I'll give a, I don't know who I should give. Second two, Bumblebee or Ready Player One? Because I really like Ready Player One, though. Go ahead. Um, Bumblebee. Um, I'll I'll give it I'll give it its due. It's a fun little adventure. It's it's ET. I mean, it's way too much ET. Um, but um, but I enjoyed it. Um, but just because Travis Knight is awesome. Um, so tra- like when I like. Mostly because it's the vindication that I got when I saw 94% Rotten Tomatoes and everybody and everybody's freaking loving this movie on its own merit. I told the world that Bumblebee was going to be good and not a soul believed me. Thought I had bad taste in movies. I still believe them to this day. But let me tell you, Bumblebee, I thought, was good. It was charming. It was fun. Haley Steinfeld really brought it and just... Ah oh, man, I feel so vindicated 
in that movie being so good. It's shot well. Travis Knight should carry this franchise for the next 50... No, bring in somebody else. Just freshen it up. Um, haven't seen it. I wouldn't say Michael Bay's legacy in this franchise has been swept away, but it is... But they are starting anew, and I like that. Um, and I'm looking forward to what they do next. And that's how much Bumblebee means. Um, but yeah, best blockbuster to me goes to Mission Impossible Fallout. Unless there was another movie that I... Unless a blockbuster movie that I forgot about. Um, so yeah. Mission Impossible Fallout. I, Alex, for the love of God, please see it. Soon. So we could talk about it. I really want to talk about it with you. I'll get to it. I'll get to it. Um, okay. Two more awards. Worst movie of the year. Worst movie of the year? Yes. We're giving out a Razzie. Um, let's throw out some candidates. Uh, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. I think it only goes to one movie, though. Um, <laughs> might be one that I haven't seen, but I'm just throwing the ones that I've seen. Um, that's a glor- that was a Absolute freaking mess. Um, I, mean, I have like two I can think of right now. Um, like Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom is like a glorious disaster. I I enjoyed the disaster of it, but it was still a disaster. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with you, Chris. There I, there are movies that I've heard are, are absolutely awful this year, but I've avoided them mostly because there's a lot I haven't seen, and I just haven't taken the effort to go see these so-called bad ones. But yeah, Lost World was. Or Fallen Kingdom was just that was uh, unbelievable. That was an unbelievable movie. <laughs> well, I think oh, I got something that might beat it. Oh, go on. Let me let me go through my list real quick. Hold on. Sure. Okay, I'm gonna throw it in, even though it's not as bad as the other one that I'm about to mention. Uh, Tomb Raider, that did come out this year. Um, it that bad. It. Listen, I've played all three of the games now, other other reboot ones. This movie was the first two games, and then an added plot element that didn't need to be there. That would have been better if it wasn't there. It was just, like, it really could have been better, but they just didn't take the effort to, into doing it, and they added a plot element that really didn't work. And, like, it should have been rated R, but it wasn't. But what are you going to do? It's not going to sell as many tickets. Um, Having not played the games, I wouldn't have wanted it to be rated R, and I didn't mind it. Um, Fantastic Beast Crimes of Grindelwald. Ooh. Man, I really wanted to love this movie. I really wanted to love this movie. Like, I I enjoyed the first one. Um, I know that's an unpopular opinion on this show, but um, amongst my co-hosts here, but I but like on a technical level, like. Scenes are too dark, and, like, um, and, like, they break the 180 rule. If you ever, if you're a techie, the 180 rule is the camera always stays on the same side of the, of the, the scene, if you know what I mean. So if you draw a line, and, okay. like, if you're doing a shot and reverse shot, the camera has to be on the same side of the line when two characters are facing each other. So, like, if you're over, if you shoot from over one person's um, right shoulder, you have to do the reverse shot from their from the other person's left shoulder. That's the 180 rule. They break that, and it, the dimensions of the room just fall apart. 
the writing, the plot. Oh my god! <laughs> they took a it took a dive. I don't know what happened from the first movie to the second movie. It's absolutely just why okay. like I I really so, like the, the first movie and they, it just it just fell Chris, apart. Just tell me why I didn't why the first movie should have been bad. No, so I just get it off of it. But gonna sake, Zach, say what you're gonna say. Ugh. As butthurt as you are about that movie, there are worse movies that came out this year that I can name. That you saw? Did the ones yes. that you saw are the ones I want to yes. hear, not the ones yes. that they're talked about? Okay. Yes. Oh, the, these are movies I saw. Go. You ready? Go. The Happy Time Murders. I never saw it. It was really bad. Oh yeah, that one. That just looks like that uh, just looks ter- that does look really raunchy and terrible. It's bad. Uh. I actually saw this, like, a little bit ago. Uh, Welcome to Marwin was really bad. The one was too at all, yeah. Um, I've heard it's not good at all. One that I haven't seen, but I know everyone's reviewed is is, is really bad. Is nope, don't want to hear it. Don't want to hear it. Okay, go ahead. Why? You want Holmes and Watson to be good? Films of Watson. I actually did think that was gonna. I did actually think that was gonna get good reviews. I was like, well, was I, I, yeah, I'm sure it was. Bad. I'm sure it was. They'll never uh, nail Step Brothers again. What else did I see that I didn't really like? Um, I saw. Um, oh, this is one my my family saw, but I didn't see. But it also got a lot of really bad reviews. Uh, Fifty Shades Freed. Well, that's too too easy. Too easy. Too easy. Yeah, they still made it, bro. Too easy of a target. That's expected. I I would probably definitively just put the Happy Time Murders on there. That's just my opinion, but... Alex, you got any? Out of the ones you've seen, if that's the one you want to go through, that makes sense. Yeah, I'm going to put the Happy Time Murders. That that movie is just bad. Alex, do you have any? I, I... Seen a lot, so I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Fallen Kingdom. Okay. Would you like to like ex- like give a better reason than I did about why that movie is so bad? That before we give it the before probably give it the award. Fallen Kingdom, uh, it just it's an insane script. It's two different movies. One of them a remake of one that already occurred in the in the franchise, and then they just make some coked out insane decisions just <laughs> coked out it, it it just it baffles me that movie baffles me the 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 balls on it the the <laughs> the idea the idea that they would go down the route they do to make some of the decisions they do uh blows my mind it just it makes it, it makes such extreme script decisions and plot decisions and they just accept you to run with it. They expect you to run with it. They they bring characters back that are not the characters from the older movies, and it's just crazy. It's just it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense, and it expects you to be okay with it. That's probably what bothers me the most. Like a a, a movie to make insane decisions and then ask you to go with it. That's fine, but there's a point where it gets insulting 
And this movie is insulting. It just doesn't make any sense. I had to. They're alive. Like I am. Man! What a Why, glorious disaster. It, it, it's crazy to me that you would have a little girl human clone running around a movie about dinosaurs eating people, but for her arc to meet the end of that movie, to make the decision to let him go, is fine. She she finds out she's a clone, they're clones, they're alive, she's alive, she sets them free, that's fine. Um, but her, her arc in the movie to that point, up to that point, is I'm going to figure out what's going on in this house. Then she finds her dead grandfather. Then she sees someone get murdered in front of her by a dinosaur. And then she finds out that she's a clone. And she's so shocked by all of this that she just decides to join these two strangers, Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas Howard, who to us are the leads of the movie, and then she just runs with them. And because she's so shocked... And so affected and so traumatized by everything that's happened to her, she has nothing else to do at that point in the movie than just scream and be carried by them. She's it's a... so weird because then she gets to the point where she presses that button and she's fine. And it's like, no, 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 no. Your grandfather's dead. Your uncle is dead and insane. You're a clone. And you've been watching people die in front of you constantly by animals that should be extinct and not anywhere near you. So you should be traumatized. You should be crapping your pants, crying in the corner of the room right now. You shouldn't be, like, making a dramatic decision that affects the entire... She lets dinosaurs go. Dinosaurs that are going to murder other people. The next movie is going to come, and, like, these dinosaurs are going to murder people because she decided that they should go free. So she is responsible for the death of probably what will be at least tens of people. So this little girl has both no effect... And every effect on the film. It's its mind-bogglingly stupid. Get ready for the Dino Mega Man. That's what they're <laughs> building up to, folks. Super fine fighting robot. Yay! Um, Come with me if you want to crap in the forest with other dinosaurs. <laughs> so, Alright then, you've sold me. Fallen Kingdom. I, I, Worst. Well... One more. <laughs> Okay. And this goes for everything, I guess. Okay. Um, I don't know how this is gonna work, but I guess we're just gonna go with it. I know, I know, I think I know what Zach's pick is gonna be, but I don't know what Alex's pick is gonna be. I don't know what my pick would be. I just want to have a discussion about it. Best performance. Ooh. Best performance. Uh, Any movie can I, can at all I, that you've seen. Wait, 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 wait. Can I give this to Fred Savage? <laughs> if you want to throw away your vote, sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not going to give it to Fred Savage, but... <laughs> Let's see. Best performance of the year. Wow. Um, Has to be a movie that you've seen... Not that you've heard of or seen bits of. No, Chris. Like I, I would only talk about that. I wouldn't have the performances if I haven't seen it. Um, God, that's hard because I haven't seen that 
that many movies this year, but uh, wow, um, jeez, uh, um. <laughs> That's what you can, think of this award, huh? I know. Um, can I give it... God, I, I know the answer I want to give, but I don't want to give it. <laughs> because it's obvious what you're going to say. Who, what do you think I'm going to say? Michael B. Jordan for Killmonger. No, I'm actually not going to give it to Michael B. Jordan for I'm Killmonger. shocked. I... <laughs> I mean, I give it to Michael B. Jordan for, like, Creed 2, but, like... Oh, I'm that not... came out! Jesus, Lord! Um, but, like... I forgot about that movie. I don't know why. I, um... Jeez. I want to give it to Josh Brolin. I really do. He had a good year this year. For which role? Gotta pick one. Doesn't matter. Can we just give it to Josh Brolin being Josh Brolin? Like, come on. Josh Brolin in, in in the story of his life because he had a good fucking year. Um. But, uh... Oh, my God. Um... I mean... I want to. I want to give it to Naomi... Um... Natalie Portman. Okay. For Annihilation because she did really awesome. Or Lady Gaga for A Star is Born, because that movie was also really, really good. Um, but I think Josh Brolin just, like, he killed it this year. He just killed it. I think I know Alex's pick now. I just thought about this. I mean, it's probably going to be for Black Klansmen or to Nick Cage for Madi. Like, I mean, it... <laughs> Uh, for Mandy. Mandy. But, um, actually, there was... I- I'm gonna go with Lakeith Stanfield for Sorry to Bother You. Oh. Okay. Interesting. Hmm, all right. He's, re- he's really winning me over a lot. Um, Atlanta, um, he's really great on it. But to watch him go through the insanity that is Sorry to Bother You really impressed me. There's also the guy I do like. I do like John David Washington from Black Klansman, but I really liked the um, the black guy from uh, Blind Spotting. He I haven't seen him really in anything else, and he I really liked him a um, lot. So, in actuality, just because I think the movie is actually just awesome. And we haven't talked about it at all, but I saw it, and I re and it got nominations. So I, Ooh. I kind of want to give it to Viggo Mortensen this year for Green Book. Oh man, I've heard a lot of people say he is not good. Or uh, Marshall Ali, the he's pretty good. I heard. I want to give it to someone from Green. Oh, I'm sorry, not 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 Viggo Mortensen. Somebody else in that movie people say is really bad. But uh, I, yeah, I hear that their performances are what make that movie really good. Um, yeah, I'm gonna throw out. A, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw in no, a wild if card. If I'm actually gonna be serious, I'm giving it to Josh Brolin. Though he he freaking earned it this year. I'm gonna throw. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw in a wild card. Sure. Shoot me down. If, shoot me down if you think I'm wrong. Donald Glover, Lando Calrissian. No. 
Oh, really? Okay. I thought I'd just give it a shot. I thought he was a good Lando in that mediocre uh, movie. I really did like him. He's probably the most charming and effective uh, actor in that movie. And for those of you wondering why I don't have on, uh, why I don't have solo Star Wars story among the worst, it's not the worst. I've seen no, right. the worst. I didn't like Did it. Did you see Legacy of White-tailed Deer Hunter this year, Alex? What? No. I heard it wasn't very good. Anyway. Carrie Coon in it. That's pretty dope. I'm probably gonna give it to Josh Brolin for Thanos. Yeah, Josh Brolin kind of killed it this year. He he did. He had a good year. Specifically for Thanos, not like Zach, who's just picking three movies. I mean, it's just Josh Brolin for like Cable and Thanos. That's that's the honest. Never story. mind the fact he was in um, Sicario, Dave Saldano. Yeah, he was in that. That movie is forgettable. Yeah. But yeah, I. Uh. Yeah, Josh Brolin killed it this year. I, I'm giving it to Josh Brolin. I pick pick whatever movie you want to pick out of it. Both movies are really great. <laughs> I want to say Gaga, but I just haven't seen *A Star Is Born* yet. She's really good in it. You you'll like her. I I've been a big perpetuator that Gaga is a great actress and she needs to be in more roles. And *A Star Is Born* is more just more proof of that. I'm not, okay. I'm not going to throw this last one into consideration. I'm going to give it an. I'm going to give him an honorable mention. Honorable mention to Tom Cruise for the incredible stunt work he did for Fallout. Good job, champ. Good job. Broke his leg. He broke, broke his, his leg for real, and they. I think they used the shot of the aftermath, like him limping. Up. Yeah, I think they they used the shot. I think. They did. Um. Oh. Honorable mention to Tom Cruise. Yeah, Gaga did great this year. Um, I I think she deserves a lot more credit for stuff than she gets, and I think she's going to get a real award this year. And, man, she she deserves so much more credit. She is, honestly, and, and I don't say this very lightly, I don't get to see a lot of artours in, in, modern, in this modern day. I think a lot of artists don't really get to perpetuate their art more as much as they like but man lady gaga she's she's proven to be an art tour of our time i mean she's she's gonna be influential for years to come interesting uh, i mean well like like i'm sure you everyone know I, I, maybe you do know about the influence that madonna's had on modern society as far as music and everything else where is it? Oh, yeah. dang, what the heck? Uh, I think... Stop it. No, go ahead. Sorry. I think that Lady Gaga is our modern-day Madonna. I really do. I mean, she... She has done incredible work in music, in film, in television. I have never hated her in anything I've seen her in. Never hated her in anything I've seen her in. I, I agree that she's a very good actress, and I do think that she has done a lot of Madonna-like things. She certainly has a Madonna-esque career, but I would say the Madonna of our generation is probably Beyonce. 
Billy. Okay. Yeah. yeah. She's had way more albums. She's had almost the equal amount of albums. She's had a bigger impact. She's acted as much as Madonna. And here's the thing. Madonna's never been nominated for awards for her acting. She's just been an actress. Yeah. She did Athena. She did, like, uh, Dick Tracy. She did a few other things. But, like, she's never been a great actress. And it's sort of the same thing with Beyonce. She's done a few thrillers. She did Austin Powers. She acts a bit, sure, but she's not, like, a really great actress. Gaga is a great singer, a really good pop star who just has entirely changed her uh, style of music like Madonna, but she's way more of a, I think she's probably going to end up being way more of a singer-songwriter than Madonna is. Madonna has really just consistently been a pop star, and yeah, she's a great actress, and she has the possibility of really being a great actress. She has... You want she to know something too? Well, let him finish, Zach. Sorry. She has the quality of someone who has grown up in New York. She is theatrical. She has that sort of tint about her. Like she has an she has stage presence, both theatrically and musically. Madonna, I feel like growing up in Detroit, just sort of knew and understood how music should work, and yeah. has continued on that capacity since then. The, the other thing I've noticed is every um, every fictional piece that she's been in, that she's had a major role in, she has won an award for. And there's only two things she's done major work on, and that's Hotel, where she did the whole, she did the whole season, and she won a Golden Globe for that. And she's about to win a bunch of awards for A Star is Born. I just can't think that movie's not going to win a bunch of awards. It's under her belt, really. What? Both of them are great. Yeah. I mean, she, yeah, she's got two major things under her belt, and both are great, even though the season of American Horror Story she's in is medium at best. Um, but she was the best part of that, which is great. Um, yeah, I mean, Lady Gaga has a very, very, very bright future ahead of her, and I, the minute I knew that she was an tour was when she went to... The, I want to say it was the Academy Awards two years, two three years ago, and she did that beautiful rendition of "Over the Rainbow." Oh yeah, and I was, and they were talking about how she prepped for that, and how she got music lessons to specifically sing that song to the best of her ability, and that's when I kind of knew that she's she's got a future in the industry and she's got a future okay as Arthur an Artur not okay. just an author not just a musician she's an Artur so and I don't use that word lightly I really don't so is it Lady Gaga or Josh Brolin because I'm about to give it to the Iron Giant from Ready Player One <laughs> <laughs> I'd say Josh Brolin had a better year than Lady Gaga but Lady Gaga's got a better career one up. just pick a performance just pick one Josh Brolin performance Josh Brolin I'm throwing your vote out you're not you're not giving me a clear answer here I said for which movie oh sure Infinity War okay for Josh Brolin for Thanos for the movies I've seen I'm gonna go probably Josh Brolin for Thanos but I uh, do I put him over Killmonger though that's my problem. 
Can I give Stan Lee as Stan Lee? <laughs> Best performance, Stan Lee. We got it's it. Stan We're good. We're done, everybody. Man. We're done. Shut it down. We're done. <laughs> any um, Stan- any retort to our Josh Brolin uh, vote, Alex? Not really. No, I I think that's fine. I really haven't watched a lot this year, and the two biggest tout, touted about performances of the year are Gaga and Christian Bale and Vice, and I just haven't seen either one of them. Okay. That was the the Maestro Awards. Um, that should be plenty of padding for um, what from what we're about to do. Okay, so let's get on to our main event. Finally, after an hour and forty four minutes. Um, Talk about Unbreakable. Unbreakable. So, um, Chris, I guess before we get into the nitty-gritty of Unbreakable, do we want to sit and talk a little bit about the director? Alex. Yes. Who is M. Night Shyamalan? Well, M. Night Shyamalan is Uh, a... he, He is a... Very interesting director. Um, he went to film school, and he wrote a few films and started to um, sort of break onto the scene in the early 90s. He uh, had his best year, though, in 1999, when he both wrote Stuart Little, the children's film about a mouse. Oh, he wrote his Jesus. A family. Yes, he wrote that movie. And um, when he made his first real breakout movie, because he had directed two other movies before then, The Sixth Sense with Bruce Willis. The Sixth Sense is legitimately a great movie. Uh, it was dominated for Best Picture. and um, Did it win that? It, it, it did not. Okay. Uh, I believe that year um, American Beauty won. Interesting. Um, so it, it basically put him on the map. It, it was, it, it sort of set the template for what his career would be, how his work would play out. Uh, it's very sort of slow. A lot of the dialogue is monotone. It had a great central performance by a young kid actor, and it has a very no- notable twist at the end. Uh, he could do pretty much anything that he wanted after that point, and he chose to do the movie we were talking about tonight next, and that was Unbreakable, which is not a bad movie. It's actually quite good. Yeah. It just, it, it's it's slow, and it's monotone like the other one, and it was before comic book movies or comics really um, were getting respected, and it came out at, at around the time that Ang Lee's Hulk would come out a couple years later, so directors were trying to figure out... The- didn't it also come out around the same time that uh, another movie that we're actually in the middle of the franchise started about? It came out the same year as X-Men, yeah. And where yeah. X-Men was a um, more of a... The, the, movie, the first movie, X-Men, is shot like a TV movie. It just is. This movie actually tries to use the visual tactics of comic books in its visual medium. He's, he stated that there are a lot of long takes in this movie that are framed very specifically to sort of imagine what the fluidity mm. of reading the panel of a comic book would feel like. So he was really 
genuinely trying to go for a look here the same way that Ang Lee was trying to do it with his Hulk movie, but I think it works way better here. The next movie he would do is Signs, which I think has problems, but it's still genuinely entertaining. It, it, it Really, you don't want to think about it too hard because then you're going to laugh at it, but if you're watching it, it's enjoyable. Uh, then he did The Village, and this is where things start to get iffy. Uh, the Village, I think, has about 50% good things going for it, and then 50% of good thing, uh, 50% of things that are really dumb and don't work at all. And then his contract uh, with the studio he was working with ends, and Disney buys him. And Disney says, you can make what you want. And he says he wants to make Lady in the Water. Oh, and boy. he says, no. This looks like a terrible idea and a terrible script, and you shouldn't do this. And Shyamalan fought with Disney and then bought himself out of his own contract to make this movie independently. And Lady in the Water is terrible. It's, it's in my opinion, his worst movie. It's just awful. It is, uh, a, it is a slow burn, and it is a slow burn of arrogance. It doesn't make any sense... It's a slow burn of arrogance, I would agree. It just is every terrible mistake you could make is made. It's awful. Um, he then it's made The Happening. And The Happening has about a good 10-minute start, and then it gets laughable. Just, in my opinion, The Happening is probably his most entertaining bad movie. Mm-hmm. I feel like if you're drunk with a bunch of friends and are just watching this movie, you can laugh the rest of the evening. It just, it, oh. it's a... The ending for, is so weird. <laughs> the ending, the ending just happens. It just happens. It just, the movie's awful. But at the same time, it's, it's laughably awful. Oh. Then he made The Last Airbender, which, it, his last three movies were terrible, but they were terrible independent small movies. The Last Airbender is... A terrible big budget blockbuster, which is it's just awfulness on scale. It's just spectac- a spectacle of terrible. It's it's awful. It's just and that's four movies in a row. Four movies in a row that are just awful. And then he makes After Earth, which it's still pretty bad, but he's pulled back a lot of the things that make him noticeably awful. It's uh. It has some elements and some thrills to it, but I I also think there's some terrible choices to it. And then he just sort of takes stock in himself for a couple years. He produces some television, and then he scales himself back, and he realizes, okay, I've had my head up my own butt for way too long. I need to take a second and just go back to what I was good at, and that's make a genre movie. Don't do anything fancy with it, just make a genre movie with a little bit of a twist at the end, and I'll be good. Focus on the technique of it, and maybe I can produce something good again. And he made The Visit. The Visit is not a great movie, but it does have good things about it. It has good scares. It has some funny moments to it. But for being a scary movie, in the same vein as like... Paranormal Activity or something like that where it's found footage and it's about the the 
the stupid, nonsensical, normal stuff that happens before something creepy and scary happens, I think he effectively pulls it off. And then after that, he's like, okay, I'm going to branch out a little bit more, and he makes Split. And Split is an idea that's been sitting in his head for quite a long time. It's based off of um, a really good performance, so he needs to find an actor who can pull it off. And then one very important thing happens when he makes Split 2. He finds a very good cinematographer, someone he's never worked with, and someone who really understands how to make atmosphere uh, work visually through his lenses. And that's one of the best things about Split is how that movie looks. It looks entirely, it looks really sharp compared to everything else he's ever made. And Split was a success for him. It's actually a really solid movie, both in its performance and its execution. And it also has a, it has a twist at the end that really, really surprised people. I remember sitting in the theater, watching it all the way to the end and being like, wow, that was a great twist. Not because it was just a twist on the story, but it actually made me understand the story even more, which I really appreciated. And now... What's really cool is that Split's been in his head since he made Unbreakable. He wanted to make Split since Unbreakable. Yeah, Unbreakable was something that he thought of when he was on the set of Sixth Sense with Bruce Willis. Yeah. He, he liked Bruce Willis and Sam Jackson's performances together in Die Hard with a Vengeance. He really liked the way they played off each other. He wanted to make something that celebrated both of them in their performances, but also worked off this idea that he had about how comics could both work visually in a film as well as how they could be understood logically in a world that he's created. And that's kind of what Unbreakable is. Split is interesting because it is its own story, but what it offers you at the end is a better understanding of the world that you're in. And now that he has laid the groundwork for both of these ideas working concurrently, we now have Glass. And Split was a hit. Split made a lot of money for him, enough for him to make Glass the way he wants to do it, and that's what's coming up in a couple weeks. And I'm excited for it. I think when Shyamalan is on his game, he works really well. Yeah. And that's, that's, he is a director who's made awful movies, good movies, and genuinely great movies. So he's, he's all over the board, but like, you never know what you're going to get with him. Yeah, and I, and I think he's really on point with wanting to finish off this this Unbreakable trilogy. So I, I have this feeling like he's going to stick nitty-gritty to the universe to finish it off so he can put it away and be proud of it. Yeah, I hope... He, one of the things that he said about Glass, about how he wants to make the story and how he wanted to tell it, was he wanted it to stand on its own, which is exactly how Unbreakable works. It's exactly how it works. Yep. I like the idea of walking into glass and having that story work, even if you haven't seen the other two movies. They help, but if you haven't seen them, could you walk into glass and still enjoy yourself? If that works, but it still is connective enough that it's not like a Marvel movie where you have to see the other movies to make it work, I would actually really be happy. Yeah. I think... I, I, I'm pretty lenient when it comes to Shyamalan's okay work when it comes to his okay stuff 
I can break break apart the pieces and say, okay, this works and this doesn't. If you put them together, you probably have something better. But what you get is what you get. Like when his movies are terrible, just awful, they're unforgivable at times. Lady in the Water is unforgivable. There's nothing good about that movie. Period. It's hilarious, but the visit has terrible, annoying things about it. But it also has some really good scares, and I have to give him those scares. I just have to look at them with an open mind and say, yeah, you've got this little white kid rapping throughout the movie, but then you have this grandma crawling underneath the house. It doesn't make any sense. She shouldn't have the physicality to do it, but it still looks really good. Yeah. I, um, yeah, I'm very excited to see where Glass goes. I'm, I really liked Split, and I thought Split was incredible, and I thought the ending of Split was a perfect, you know, perfect kind of twist on a movie that didn't seem to have a twist until you saw it at the very end. And I think what was really cool was that I went into Split not knowing who made the movie and not knowing anything about it, and I enjoyed the crap out of it. Well, we'll go go more in-depth in it, because we've technically spoiled a lot about how Split works within this trilogy, because in in my opinion, Split has actually two twists to it. One is more of a reveal, while the other is more of a twist. Uh, I think the whole fact that it works within... I think the fact that it's technically a secret sequel to Unbreakable is a twist. Um, It helps you understand things, and it does reveal things about how the world works more, but it's a twist, and that's generally how that works. But there is something else in the movie that goes with the story, that goes with the lead character and what she has experienced and what she will experience. That, in in my opinion, is kind of a half-twist, half-reveal. It's not a twist generally, but it is really good storytelling. It does give you all the pieces to put them together, but you still can't quite do it until he reveals it. And once he does, you're like, okay... All right. So I think while people sit there and go that M. Night Shyamalan is the guy who likes to do a lot of twists, I also think he's just a genius at reveals of giving you everything you need to know to put the puzzle together, but you still can't do it until the very end. And that's that's what makes it really exciting to watch a good Shyamalan movie. Yes. So for example, for example, Chris, how did you feel when you got to the end of this movie? I feel like I felt like I should have seen it coming. But, of course, I didn't, because it it did such a good job of subverting my expectations and setting it up really well. Um, But, yeah, it did take me, like, quite, it did take me quite by surprise. I was, I was, like, whoa, okay, that's messed up, you know? Like, it was a very messed up ending. But it's, like, it's, like, a good messed up ending, though. Like, it, it, uh... It, it subverts your whole idea. It, like The cool thing about Shyamalan that I really like about the good Shyamalan movie twist is that you don't see them coming. They, they, he hints it the whole time. I mean, he like almost screams it to your face, but he, he keeps your, your focus on other things. So at the very end, once all the pieces come together and he reveals the twist, it's, a mo- it, it's the kind of thing where you want to sit back and like, all right, I got to sit down and rewatch this and see what I missed here. And then you start realizing you missed little things in it, and you realize, holy crap, this man's like a genius. And 
and then you watch Lady in the Water, and you're like, "I'm the guy who did this, do this." Well, it's it's very interesting when it comes to this movie because there's a lot of things he lays onto the table that are there to not just subvert it, but give you a different perspective of how things are unfolding. Like um, you sympathize with Samuel L. Jackson, especially you. Um, really appreciate the fact that he is helping David Dunn understand what he is and who he is and how he can help people. Um, and he's doing it by explaining to him all the things that define what a superhero is through the rules that comics have laid throughout the decades. While he's doing that, visually, He's giving you all the information you should understand at the same time about how villains are understood in comic books. He's giving you like when he when you first see him explain as an adult the comic the comic book frame to the guy at his gallery, saying that this is look at how the square jaw of the hero works, and then look at the villain, his oversized head compared to his body. That's how most villains were portrayed at the time. And then you look at him and you realize his hair is gigantic and his head is so much bigger than his body. They're giving you all the information that you need. He's the exact opposite of the hero. He spends his time in that comic book shop annoying and just pissing off the worker there because he's a bad guy. It, all the pieces are there and you should notice them visually. But when you watch the movie, you're too busy sympathizing it with him and trying to piece together the things that David is and what he's giving David is everything a superhero needs to understand who they are. Well, at the same time, he as a director is visually giving you everything you need to understand what a villain is. So before we go into this, let me explain how we got here. I'm going to do a ratatouille here. Um, so, we spun the wheel, it fell on X-Men, so we started doing X-Men. The way, before we got, the, we got this idea beforehand, okay. Glass comes out January 18th. Yep. Zach is such a fan. He said, can we do Unbreakable and Split before, and then do Glass? I'm like... I'm a nice guy. I said, okay, fine. Um, I let, I'm giving, I'm throwing him a bone. <laughs> um, Thank you. So, basically, so we're going to go back into X-Men. We just stopped at its lowest point um, with um, X-Men Origins Wolverine, which I'm working on right now. I'm getting all the audio transferred over to the right file format so I can put it on anchor. Um right right what like as we speak episodes? right now. As we speak right now it's going up. It's probably gonna take all night. It's going really slow. Um so we're gonna get back into X Men after Glass comes out and we properly review this thing. Um so we're starting here with Unbreakable. So spoiler alert they're all in the same universe. Um, and also, spoiler alert, we're going to talk a lot about Unbreakable. Um, ultimately, I recommend it. It's a, it's a change of pace from the, from the comic book movies that come out today, the big budget blockbuster ones. It's not based on a comic necessarily. It's a 
based on comics in general and yep. kind of takes the origin story of a hero and has some interesting ideas with it. Like I said, it's a nice it's a slower change of pace, but it's a it's re- I think it's refreshing and people should go out and see it. Um so we're going to spoil it cuz we need to talk about this darn thing. Um other than that, okay, let's go. Let's do this. Let's talk about it, guys. Begin. Great start. All right. Um, what do we talk about first? The Shyamalan cameo. I mean, he's like he's like in it for a second. Like I don't think that's a big deal. (laughs) I couldn't believe that was him. I've only seen him with the long curly hair. I never saw him with like the semi fade. He he does that in almost all of his movies. That's his Hitchcock. He likes to put himself in all of his movies. But he's more prominent than Hitchcock. He has a more prominent cameo than Hitchcock did. No, he likes to actually embed himself in his movies. Like, in Signs, he is... In Signs, his character is um, responsible for the death of the main character's wife. In Lady in the Water, he literally is a writer who is predicted to write a book that will change the world and produce and inspire the next president of the United States. Like, he puts himself on a freaking pedestal in that movie. It's crazy. Um, okay. So, Great that I've only seen yes. one. Because um, we saw one in class. Um, like, I, this movie was shot very interestingly. I'm like, at the, when, with, at the beginning... In the train, I'm like, this is interesting. They're changing shots, but not they're not cutting. This is very interesting. You know? Um, uh, so that's where Daredevil got it from. The Netflix Daredevil. I'm kidding. Um, performances were good. I liked Samuel L. Jackson as uh, Mr. Glass. Like, he's like... Especially towards the end, when it all makes, but it all made sense. Like, um, yeah. I like, once you understand that he is a bad guy, it makes the scenes where he is acting like a jerk all the more understandable because he's he's a mass murderer. So yeah. when he's telling the guy to get out of his store, you're like, no, get out of that guy's store. He's a mass murderer. Right. Um, that twist with, like. He caused major catastrophes, like, including the train incident that caused all those people to die and the woman he was flirting with at the beginning of the movie, which I thought was, like, that beginning scene I thought was really well done. Like, it starts with him, like, looking out a window, and then then an attractive lady sits next to him. He takes his shot. Um, it's a bad target, so he, so she walks out, because it's, because it's not, because now it's awkward, and then he pulls the ring from, like, either in his seat, from his pocket, and puts it back on his hand, and I'm like, okay, okay, that was really well done, like, and then the little girl's still staring at, like, there's, like, a little girl, I don't know what the little girl has to do with anything in that scene, um, She's the perspective of the camera. She, when, he first, when he first sits down, he sees the little girl. And the oh! Camera, 
is through the seat the entire time. So you, without really thinking about it, you are the audience and the little girl watching him do this. So he completely forgets that this little girl is watching him the whole time, and he still does this thing. And then at the very end, he looks at her, and she's just judging him the entire time, having no idea really why he's doing this or what his relationship is like with his wife, what the deal is. It isn't until after the accident that he goes home and you realize, oh, he was looking for a job in another city because he's moving there because they have problems. Like, this is... It was from the perspective of a little girl and I never noticed it the entire time. This is the greatest movie ever shot. Um, So... But yeah, just... Also, like... Some, but the composition of some of these shots is I I thought was really well done. I feel I felt like I was watching like a master at work at at, at some points. I'm like, that's a good that like that's a good shot. That third like that's the shot I would do. That's the perfect shot for that moment. Like, Shyamalan at his best is like really good. You know what I'm saying? Like he's really good. A composition and all that. Um, I did have a, I did have somewhat of a problem about the monotoneness of it all. I was kind of checking yeah. out by how emotionless everything seemed to be, or or like Bruce Bruce Willis in particular. Like he was good, but like I understand what they were going for, but like. The monotoneness of his performance was like, okay, I'm kind of, especially with everything that's happening around him, um, but like, I'm, it was kind of like, it was kind of taking me out of it a little bit, like, to the point where like halfway through the movie when after, um, after Mr. Glass falls on, that falls down the stairs, um, where like, I heard, like my dad, with the, the also, breaking news. Here's another piece of news. The Dark Knight is on Netflix, and everybody on this green earth should freaking watch it. Um, so, it was on in the living room because my dad watches movies at a very high volume, and I can't help but hear it. So, I'm just like, the last 20 minutes we're playing, I'm like, gosh dang it. So, I had to pause the movie and go watch it in the living room. <laughs> so, I came back, and I'm like, okay, I'm back into it. But that's when it was starting to get good. Because physical therapist for when he was recovering was Robin Wright Penn at the time um so David Dunn say what David Dunn's wife ah but what was it Robin Wright Penn at the time was she married to Sean Penn or something or at the, at the time yes oh okay that made sense now she's just Robin Wright and she's right um yes so, but yeah, I do like, I do like how it's, I do like the respect for comic, the, the respect for comic books that it has, is what I, is what I really like. Like, he looked at a comic book cover when he was a kid that he got from his mom, where his mom made him walk across the street because he didn't want to leave his house. Um, oh, that's a work message I'm gonna have to see later. Um, so, he opens it, it's a comic book cover, and he keeps that comic book cover in his art collection, called Limited Edition. And, like, the respect that he has for the composition of the comic, of, like, 
the comic book cover is so I'm just like I was literally I was blown away by like how much by how much respect it's given. Like he doesn't treat it like it's like drawn by an like a dude who's just make drawing a cartoon on a page. He's treating it like it's an artist painting a picture. Like I'm like where is this now? You know? <laughs> With all the disrespect the blockbusters are getting. Um so I do like the respect for comic books that it has. Um it was kind of weird of like it was kind of weird like science fiction. I do like the interesting aspect of it makes you think of whether or not like it like I was asking myself too as um as um as Bruce Willis' character I, I, I forgot Bruce Willis' character's name. Um David Dunn. David Dunn. Um so like Kirk Pitt, something like that. <laughs> like Dirk Pitt. No, no, no. I mean like Clark Kent. Oh, or, I see. Uh, or Bruce Peter Wayne. Parker. Peter like Parker. that alliteration. Like that's David Dunn. Wade Wilson. Dirk Pitt's yeah. still a funny name. Um Adams. So <laughs> Shoot, I lost my train of thought. Anyway. But um yeah, like I said, I like the respect for comic books that it has. Um, I do. Okay, now I know. I'm back. Okay, so like the, um, like the questions that David Dunn has about his abilities, I had those same questions. Like, am I supposed to take this seriously? Like, does he is he really, like, super strong? Is this like a what kind of a movie are we going for here? Is it like a science fiction? Is it like is it like science fiction where he actually is super strong in a world of reality, or is he just like an extremely lucky guy? And I'm pretty sure he was asking himself the same thing. Like, am I just lucky, or am I like, do I have an ability or something like that? Like, he was questioning his own reality, and I do like how we were questioning his reality while he was questioning his own. And I like how the movie forces like that, and there's there's like there's like a connection there. Um. I don't know if you guys want to chime in. I'm like, I just went on an Alex-sized uh, tangent there. No, actually, I want to hear your like whole opinions about this movie I, in general. I think I covered the bases. I do like how he... How it went from... Like, when he first discovers... Like, okay, so when he touches someone, he sees them commit a crime. But early on, you don't know. Like, he's like, oh, this must be a crime that he's, like that he is, um, like, he, when he touches someone, he just, like, he has a gut instinct about what, who they are, um, yeah. but he sees a vision of a crime that they're, um, committing, that he sees them committing the crime, but you're left to wonder, okay, is it, but, like, over time, you're left to wonder, oh, wait a minute, it's, is it past or is it future? It turns out, at the climax, the big, at the climax of the movie, it's the, future he's seeing a crime that is about to be committed it's kind of like minority report except a little like not as futuristic but it's like a natural ability to see crimes before they happen and then use super strength to go see them in order to go um take care of it um it was messed up though that he didn't save the parents but he was able to save the kids and that sucks um what else 
I already said something. I, I like the composition. I guess that's all I really got to say. I enjoyed the performance. Like I said, I enjoyed the performance of Samuel L. Jackson in particular. Um, yep. I was kind of being jarred a bit by the monotone performance of Bruce Willis and kind of like the how he's just like dealing with everything. The scene where the where his son pulls the gun on him was just that was like almost that was pretty much the scene for me. Like he's just like I'll prove it. You can't you like you're invincible. Nothing can hurt you. And they're just like, no, it's not how this, that's not, no, like, he's in, you know what I'm saying? Like, that was so, like, crazy and intense. Like, that's such a, like, like I said, it's a good change of pace. Because, like, it reminded me, it actually reminded me of The Dark Knight. And, like, like, about that whole, the whole scene is, or kind of like that. I guess it's just a gun that reminds me of The Dark Knight, because he used that small little six-shooter. Um... So there, there was one of the first people. To, I think he's actually the first person to ever, like, act as Clark Kent and Superman in the movies. Was a guy named George Reeves, and um, this was back in the forties and fifties. He um, would go to see kids all the time as Superman, and sort of say hello and do charity stuff like Marvel people do today. And one time he was seeing a bunch of kids. And a kid walked up to him with a real gun, and he pointed the gun at Superman, and he was like, I'm going to shoot this gun at you, and I want to see the bullet ricochet off. And George Reeves, an actor, is standing there staring at this little kid with a gun pointed at him, and he's like, now, if you shoot me with that gun, the bullet will ricochet, but it may hit somebody else. So I need you to put that gun down and not shoot me. And he slowly walked up to the kid, and he took the gun out of his hands. So that's a real thing that happened. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah, there's a movie um, called Hollywoodland that is about this life and death and the mysterious death of George Reeves. And Ben Affleck, strangely enough, plays George Reeves. And they act out that scene. So Ben Affleck is standing there in a kind of cheesy Superman outfit in front of a bunch of kids and they play out that scene. That's where that comes from. Yep. Huh. Adrian Brody's in it too, which is pretty relevant. Yeah, it's alright. Ben Affleck is good, but it's not a good mystery. I um, see. Uh, what did you think about the scene where he, where him and his kid are uh, doing the weights? Okay, now that was... That was where I was like, okay, this is, this is, this is science fiction. Um, this is a, this is, this is a comic book origin. This is a, this is the realm, this is fiction. So, you know, um, but like... They loaded every single weight. Like, okay, he starts out. Okay, that was like two hundred fifty pounds. Like, okay, because like that was very dangerous. Um, so then he, then is, so then he, his, his um his kid adds more. He's like, hey, I lied. I added more. I didn't take off. And then they're like, then they're both. Then he got him hooked, and he's like, okay, all right, let's see how far we can push. Um. So, they got... So, they used every single weight that they had. 
And then they added four full paint cans. Which added to up to a total, according to him, of 350 pounds. Um, so he could bench press um, unassisted um, 350 pounds. 160 kilograms. So... Which is about as much as I feel like I weigh. Um, so... <laughs> so... Let's see here. What else? Um, so that was like... That was like... Okay. I feel like there should have been a point where Bruce Willis turned to his son and was like, Okay, listen. I'm going to do this very crazy thing unassisted. I know you can't help me because you're you're a kid and you can't help me with any of this. <laughs> so... What they did was, okay, if anything happens, get mom. What I would have said was, if anything happens, get the, okay, get a phone. Dial 9-1, and if this thing lands on my chest, dial the last one. Because <laughs> I have somewhat of a sense of humor, and I would have tried something. Um, but yeah, this, the, the whole scene with the weightlifting. Also, the, the parts where, with the car crash... That was an interesting um, subplot too, cause like he th- like, but I feel like it wasn't fleshed out enough. Like he, that wasn't given as much. Like, I guess it was because they showed the whole scene, but I feel like that wasn't fleshed out in rea- like reactionary. Like, um, like reactionary. Like that wasn't really played. I don't think that was played up enough. Of like, oh, he had a car accident and he hurt himself and he couldn't play football anymore. But then it turns out he there he, he gave it up because the piece was the piece was there earlier of like she was gonna leave she he, she didn't see it working with because like she's not into athletes. But apparently it was into him for whatever reason. Um so Yeah. So, like, um, so she, so he faked the injury, because he was perfectly fine. He bent the door. Like, you know, he bent, like, he bent the door to rip her out from a burning car. Um, so, he gave up football for her, which he, which makes it even more tragic that they're struggling. So, like, like I thought that was interesting. I thought that was interesting. Like, he's trying to hide the fact that he, like, this isn't, I'm just lucky. Like, he doesn't think he's powerful enough. But once he realizes he's powerful, then he uses it. And, um, yeah, that's, I can't really think of anything else to say about the movie. Guys, help me out here. Well, I think I would say, yeah, uh, the movie is... A slow burn, and basically the slow burn is, we got our guy, he gets into an accident, he realizes he has powers, he starts to uh, test the limits of his powers, just as he's testing the limits of his powers, he comes across someone who is the villain, and he defeats that villain. It's in a very weird thing, and and then obviously at the end of the movie they tease a greater villain. That greater villain being, you know, Samuel L. Jackson, who's the mentor he thought was his mentor, but was really the... It actually, you know what's funny? 
is this movie has a very similar plot structure to Doctor Strange, where you have a guy, he gets in an accident, he goes on his hero's journey, his mentor, who he thinks is his mentor, that being Mordo, uh, is, you know, Mr. Glass is kind of his Mordo, who at the very end comes to realize that this is not the person who he thought it was, and yeah, and I would say, you know, he kind of just does it, and don't get me wrong, this, it, again, this movie is all about the, the hero's journey, this is about a super hero's three-act comic structure, that is exactly how Shyamalan designed this movie with the intention is that's the three-act comic structure where you have the the uh beginning the middle and the end which is the setup the confrontation and the resolution it is different from dr strange though in the fact that yes the whole thing is the reason he committed all these mass murders um was, was that to he was to find him so yes yeah, there's that, I guess. But, but otherwise, yeah, I mean, you're right, kind of, yeah. The, the film follows the three-act structure closer than it follows the comic book structure, where there's the inciting incident, there's the midpoint, and the climax. That That's really the thing, where the climax and the ending are very close to each other, where the climax is where you find out that, where David finds out that who Elijah truly is, and then turning him in. <laughs> you know? That was so... Also, one more thing. That was such an anticlimactic finish. Well, Chris, you gotta remember, it's we got a whole titles. movie to figure out where this goes. Right. Well, that that wasn't the intent when they made it. I, I no, think the intent... Obviously. Like, I think the, the point is, I think he's making... I think there's a movie he's making visually and a movie and a story he's telling visually. Yes. So the the story is a, a, a hero's a comic book hero's origin, and it's yes. really no different than any other comic book origin story since. A guy finds out he has powers, he uh, trains and hones those powers, and then he uses those powers to save the day. Um, that's pretty much what the story is. But there is this driven narrative that's underlined uh, the entire time. It's the thing that makes the movie rewatchable, and that is two things. Mr. Glass, his arc, his story, and what he is, which you don't know until the end and gets fleshed out every time you watch the movie. But then there's also, this is a comic book movie driven and propelled by one person's love and appreciation and understanding of comics. Yes. That that's what makes that's why Quentin Tarantino loves it. It would be like if, if someone made a movie about how movies are made, or a person finding out that he is a lead in a movie uh, through somebody else's love of movies, and that that's what makes it super interesting. It starts off with him going, "I love comics." The movie is shot and made by someone who loves comics, and he starts to explain the rules of how comics work. And then all of a sudden, this guy starts to find himself in a hero in a superhero story, and then it unfolds like a superhero story. And then you get to the end, and you're like, the guy who showed me everything, who appreciates this medium, who understands the rules of everything, also happens to be the one guy who understands the opposite end of that spectrum. Which is why th- there's a lot that I'm not saying. For two two things, a 
I don't know what they're going to do in glass. They have to expand these rules a lot more. But then split is the opposite. The split is the villain's journey. And I really, once you realize that split is actually connected to this film, the rules of how that film work makes so much more sense. So you're watching split and you're seeing things unfold and you don't know whether you're watching a supernatural film. You don't know how things are working. You don't know what it is. And then you get to the end and you're like, okay, now I know what kind of film I'm watching. But then David Dunn shows up and you're like, oh, oh, that's the kind of film I'm watching. That's the movie I'm seeing. Now you understand it a lot better. I I think I like the most, what I like most, and this is something they really perpetrated, especially in the climax of the movie, is how Elijah is literally a polar opposite of David Dunn. While David is indestructible as a person, Elijah has a disease that is called uh, brittle bones, where he, or uh, osteago process and perfecta, which is basically... Uh, he has, uh, he has, um, what's it called? Uh, it's called brittle bone disease, where he breaks his bones, uh, what was the line thing? Like, 29 times a year or something like that, he said? Yeah, yeah I, I, I just can't... One-third of his life in a hospital bed. What? One-third of his life in a hospital bed. Yeah, something like that. He, he, he made the quote, I can't remember the quote for the life of me, I don't think it matters, but, um, and... You know, while David can be seen as a brute and not very smart, Elijah is a genius. He's planned everything very carefully. You know? And, well, and, and you yes, can even take yeah. it a step further. Bruce Willis is white, Samuel L. Jackson's black. Like, I mean, it the the, the parallelisms okay. alone are like perfect. That's why I'm really intrigued by Glass being called Glass, because I feel like in that movie we're really going to see um, Samuel Jackson's character's ability to manipulate even more. Because he really is manipulating David Dunn in this movie. You think he's helping him, but really he's manipulating him. Yes. And I really want to see how he manipulates James McAvoy's character. That shouldn't be hard. What? That shouldn't be hard. No, dude, it's... Once you see, I, it's gonna be, yeah, that's kind of a hard thing to talk about if you haven't seen Split yet. Yeah. Once okay. you see Split, you'll understand why it's going to be a really interesting film and why it's going to be a real test of Samuel Jackson's character. It's Split's a whole other animal. Because he, here's the thing, like, in Split, you understand the goal of what McAvoy is trying to do. And in this film, you understand what Glass is trying to do. Glass is trying to just understand that his reason for existing has a purpose. That purpose is David Dunn. David Dunn is the opposite of him. He is, whatever Glass is, he has to be there for a reason. David Dunn defines that reason. So when you get to Split and you understand what McAvoy is trying to do, it's a completely different, uh, to put quotations around it, animal. And, and when it gets to the third movie, Glass, what what does Glass want from uh, McAvoy? What is he trying to gain from him? Is it just the? Is he just trying to be villainous? Is he trying to go after David Dunn? Is he just trying to get something in general? We don't know these things yet, and how they're going to actually come to pass. But I really am intrigued because. It seems like that film is really going to highlight 
what Glass can really do. Yes, and once you watch Split, you'll have, I think, a better idea as to what James McAvoy's character's goals are going to be in Glass and even what their greater goal is, his goal is in Split. And it really does set up this very interesting parallelism between Glass, Dunn, and, uh, and Crumb. That's the, the character's name in Split. Uh, Kevin what? Kevin. Uh, Kevin, Elijah, and David. And um, you really do get to see a lot of really interesting stuff going on because you do get to see a lot of what's going on. And while Split is important for understanding where Glass is going to go, and I hope that they keep it very independent, they basically reintroduce us to who James McAvoy is, and it sounds like they do in a form. It's really going to be very interesting to see what happens. Yeah, I feel like the half of what this movie is, outside of giving you who Glass and David Dunn are in a world uh, where people both appreciate... like I, Glass makes it very clear. He's like, I think that comic books... Uh, were written as a way of telling the world about something that already exists and people that already exist, and then it got commercialized. And they sort of, they unfold that by giving you superheroes in a real world. Um, and things escalate even more so in Split. So I'm, I, But I do think that what this film is trying to say is that imagine you enjoy this thing but then imagine that this thing exists in the real world. Where does that line blur? How could it be defined better? And what if those rules applied in the same way? And if you aren't paying attention, those rules can really um, pull the rug out from under you. So if you're watching, it's, it's interesting you were watching this film thinking, am I watching a supernatural movie or am I watching a movie about a guy who just happens to be lucky? That same thing applies to Split if you didn't know that it was connected to these movies. You're watching it and you're like, is this a supernatural movie or is this just a thriller about a guy who's kidnapped a bunch of girls? And then as the movie folds, you start to realize, oh, now I know what it is. And then you get a better understanding with the very last shot of the movie. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's all, like... But yeah, that's pretty much all the all the bases, I, I think. That I that I that, that I can think of. Is there something you guys really want to point out that you picked up on? I no, I think I think we talked a lot about the composition, about what it's trying to say, about uh, the twist. I I I've always liked this movie. I've come to enjoy it more and more. I remember watching it, being like, "Eh, this is really kind of slow." But then I get to the end, and I'm like, the first time I got to the end, I was like, "Wow, that's great!" And I immediately watched it again. And I picked up all the little pieces again, and I was like, oh, okay, this movie's really, really good. And then I, I just remember watching Split and going like, wow, I, I can't believe they're connected. It just helps me understand both of these movies so much more. And uh, I, 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 he didn't have to do it. This movie could have just stood out as one of those comic book movies that happened before comic book movies were a thing that still holds up as being one of the best comic book movies around. A lot of that has to do with the fact that the characters within it and the person who made it 
really love and appreciate the art form of comics. Yeah. Oh yeah. So uh Yeah, I think that's we pretty much covered it. I yeah. think. Um Yeah. That was that was quick. <laughs> yeah, I mean I don't I don't think that it's a very simple story. They, they don't. The marriage is just sort of a part of who David Dunn is, and isn't really a metaphor for anything else. It, it really just kind of helps you better understand who the guy is. Um, but it is a pretty simple story with a pretty fun twist. Uh, and I think we'll have a lot more fun things to say about Split because it has a faster pace. It's more thrilling. It's kind of scary at times. And McAvoy's performance is insane. So um, we'll probably have a lot more to talk if, if about. If you then. ask me, I actually do think Split is McAvoy's best role. I, I think McAvoy is at his best in Split. It's it's certainly up there for sure. I was like, hearing I was hearing Oscar buzz for him, but he never got but he got snubbed. I hear I'm hearing. Well, the movie came out in January, and people forget about stuff that comes out at the beginning of the year around Oscar time, uh, and it was it just came out too late for the year before it. Yeah, I see. I I do think that it is probably his best role. I think Kevin Wendell Crumb is. Probably James McAvoy's best role, without a doubt. He is so good in the fact that he basically gets to portray, like, four characters in that movie. Kind of, something like that. He he is having a ball. It's certainly the most fun he's probably had making a movie. Yeah. So, yeah, there you go. Yeah, I I think you'll like Split a lot, Chris. I like Split. I... um... I will watch that movie as a standalone movie a lot, and I think it's really good. So it's a good time. So uh, yeah, that's Unbreakable. Uh, next time we'll be reviewing uh, Split, where I'll be talking about um, pissing my pants. <laughs> what? So uh, I think he said he would be so scared he'd poop his pants. I said pissing my <laughs> pants. I don't think you'll. I the movie's not scary, dude. It it's. It's thrilling. It's so it was marketed thrilling. wrong, is what you're yeah. saying. What? It was marketed wrong, is what you're saying. Yes. Absolutely. No, I, no, I, no, I'm sorry. I would say this. Like, it, it, I'd say I've watched a lot of Criminal Minds episodes because my roommates like it. It's basically a Criminal Minds episode, but there are some scenes in it, if you don't watch a lot of horror movies like yourself, where I could see you being like, that was really scary, or that was like really messed up to the point where it, it, it's unsettling. I see. So it's kind of like Get Out. I'm going to be more like Get Out than... No, it's not like Get Out. It's... No, I mean, yeah, Get Out is more psychological. This genuinely has like... like... I want to say Shutter Island, but Shutter Island's really psychological. That's the problem. Yeah, Shutter is not psychological. Um, like... It's it's creepy. it's creepy and it's weird until it gets like legitimately and it's creepy and weird until it genuinely turns into like a monstrous movie. Okay. Yeah. Like, did you see um, like, God, no, Chris, you haven't seen like It Follows or anything like that. No, I haven't. Wait, It Follows. 
Yeah, I think follows. I think I was scrolling by I, maybe I don't know. I think somebody showed me a clip from It Follows. It was was it the one with Micah Monroe? I don't know. The one the 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 the, the Bill Pullman's daughter from um, Independence Day Resurgence. Yes, it has Michael Moreau on it. Yes. Oh, okay. I've seen. The, okay, someone showed me the pool scene, and I'm like, okay, it's a movie about a woman who can only see. Who is the only Maybe. person who can see her killer? That that sounds like an interesting thing. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I I mean I get how you could get that from it follows, but it follows is about a sexually transmitted disease ghost. Oh, what? Yeah. Yeah. It's about an STD ghost. It's an STD ghost. Like, you sleep with someone, and then all of a sudden this ghost follows you everywhere you go. And if it ever catches up to you, it'll kill you. So you have to keep moving. If you stop moving, the ghost will eventually get to you. So it's sort of... it, But you get it through sex. An STD ghost. <laughs> it's an STD ghost, yeah. <laughs> That's, like, the best name for that, too. That is so, like, wow. That's, that's very interesting. An STD ghost. That seems scary. Okay. Um, Imagine you have HIV. Eventually, one day, if you don't have the medication, or you don't have the money, or you don't take care of yourself, one day, you will die of AIDS. Yep. Okay. So, um, on that note... On that very wonderful note, um, it's an STD ghost. So explicit. Um. All right. So yeah, next time we're gonna talk about split. Yep. Um. So there you go. See you in All right. All right. Well, uh, later, guys. Okay. So now you can say goodbye. Bye. Bye-bye. Okay.